All right, guys, both of you, plural, not just Justin to start this one. Both of you. You guys get another option today. We can either do a fun fact or, well, what I consider a crazy fact. It's This one's not lewd or vulgar like last time. This is just a fact about a, about a, a movie or related to a movie we recently did an episode on. Or we can play the game. If you guys choose the fact, I'll go with the same rules as last time. You'll both get a point. So which one is it? Same rules as last time. Are we going to do fact or game? I mean, Justin, I'm good with a fact and a free point. You? Yeah, I mean, we play the game so much. It's kind of a nice little um, departure from that for as long as we can get it. So. Yeah, I'll take the fact. Right. Oh, I was on mute. My bad, guys. Uh, with that, no. <laughs> oh, I was like, uh-oh, did we lose him? I was about to say, did we lose him? No, no, no. I just was on mute. And I'm all sitting there talking, and I'm like, wait, what's going on? No, my bad. Uh, all right, so with that... Now, also, we're going to have a little quiz as a part of this. Now, this quiz it won't affect the points. It just makes the fact a little bit more fun. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list three actors that were all in a movie we recently just watched. And then I'm going to list three ages. And I want you guys to give me which ages you think up line up with which actors. Okay. But you still get a point. It's just, you know, a fun way of telling the fact. That fair? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so with this, guys, I'm going to say the names Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and Ernie Hudson. Okay. We're all on the same page now? Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Now I'm going to say three ages. I'm going to say 69, 71, and 76. Now, uh, Justin, can you tell me which ages you think apply to which actors? Hmm. Um. Wow. We'll go... I'll say Ernie Hudson, I'll go 71 with him. Because even though he looked younger than them, black don't crack. So I imagine, surprisingly, he's probably older than one of them. Or maybe both of them. But I'll go Ernie Hudson, 71. Uh, Aykroyd, 69. And then Bill Murray, what was the last one? 76. Yeah, we'll go Murray 76. Okay. All right. That's fair. Uh, Heather, what about you? So I know the answer to one of these because I saw something about it recently anyway. But um, so I. Yeah. Don't say which one, you know, just give your guesses. Right. Yeah. Okay. I am going to go. And it was it was 71, 69 and 76, right? Yes. Okay. Um I'm going to go 
Ackroyd 71, Murray 69, uh, Hudson 76. Well, 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 well. You both got one of them right. Both of you. Dan Aykroyd is 69 years of age. Okay. Bill Murray is 71. Oh. And that leaves old Ernie Hudson at 76. Mm-hmm. I know. I was surprised when I heard that. So wow, Ernie I Hudson. I kind of right. I should have just went all the way with it. But <laughs> Ernie Hudson is five to seven years older than both of them, and he looks no less than twenty-five years younger than both. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's crazy. He's just that's that's drastic at that age. Like, there's a big difference between sixty-nine. And 76. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he is, he's drastically the oldest. And just, you cannot tell by looking at that man. Now, no. I have not typically been a fan of the statement black don't crack just because it is technically a stereotype and positive stereotypes can be sometimes just as harmful as your traditional negative stereotype, you know, when you look at something like an Asian person and the, you know, the, the stereotype is, is Asians are good at math. And this doesn't sound like a negative thing. They're like, no, they're all good at math. That's good. That's positive. Everybody wants to be good at math. They're all good at math. It's all fine and dandy until you're an Asian person who's not. And now all of a sudden you don't live up to that stereotype and you're considered less than and it can hold some people back because they might be something that doesn't apply to it. Same as like the whole black don't crack that if you are a black person that when you age, you do get more wrinkly and you show your age more than others. That can be considered a negative thing just because you don't live up to what would be considered a positive stereotype. I say all that with the, the then the statement of, but holy fuck, when black don't crack applies... God damn, does it apply? Because, <laughs> like, Ernie Hudson's fucking 76. And I, I seriously, like, looking at him, I would not say a day over 52. Because he doesn't even move like an old guy. <laughs> yeah, You know right. what I mean? He doesn't have old man walk. <laughs> like... That's one of my biggest complaints about the Irishman. When they de-aged Robert De Niro, he just looked like a young guy that moved like an old guy. He still moved like an old man. Because, you know, he is. But, like, Ernie Hudson doesn't move like that. Same Same with Samuel Jackson. He's like 70, 71, I think, 69, something like He's right up there, too. Doesn't look a day over 50. Still moves all spryly and shit. Right. You know? And actually somebody somebody else that I recently was seeing something about that I'm like, there's no way. 
Um, Angela Bassett is 63 years old. That's insane to me. Angela Bassett is almost the legal age for Social Security. And she still moves all spryly and looks amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. Like I said, but as much as I don't necessarily like the idea of positive stereotypes, because they're still stereotypes, man, when it applies, though, holy fuck. <laughs> Damn. No, that's just my interesting fact. I found out that Ernie Hudson is drastically older than both of those elderly men. Like, they look elderly. Yeah, yeah especially Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. And then I go back and I think about it, like, with the original Ghostbusters movies. It was, like, 30-something years ago. Is what? Almost, no. Fuck, it'll be 40 years. So it's, like, 35 years ago. That means Ernie Hudson was still pushing 40 in the first Ghostbusters movie. And I never would have thought that. Yeah, that man was born in 1945. Just fucking bonkers. So there you go. That's my interesting fact for tonight. You guys both get a point. That is pretty interesting, though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and I just thought it applied since we literally talked about how much younger he looked than them in that episode. So, just figured we'd throw it in this one. Little little tidbit, little little bit of trivia for people out there. He's born December seventeenth, nineteen forty nine. So, there we go. All right, here's our theme song. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Why did that sound wrong? It just did. Huh. Anyway. Usually you say another episode. Oh, that's what it was. I messed up the word. Another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we will be talking about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with the brand new MCU Sony joint picture. Spider-Man No Way Home just keeps Spider-Manning. We will go spoiler-free <laughs> recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description to allow you to jump around if you so require. Now with all that, Justin, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Spider-Man 3 No Way Home? I guess I could start by saying that sometimes, you know, a movie comes out or there is an anticipated release. And a lot of times there's a lot of hype built up around the film. And typically when you have like a potential blockbuster like this or when it comes to the MCU movies or, or even like the matrix coming out uh, later this week or anything like that. 
um, you know, there's always that question of once it once it's released, there's always that question of did it live up to the hype? You know, did it um, was it worth the release? Did it do what it needed to do? Did it improve, especially being it when it's a sequel and it's a blockbuster? Did it improve upon the other two films before it? Did it say anything different? that those films didn't say? Did it do anything different that those films didn't do? Um, And I guess in a nutshell, the best thing I can say is that Spider-Man No Way Home, in my opinion, lives up, it lived up to the hype. It took, I think it made some really interesting choices. There were some things that happened in it that I didn't see coming. Um, if you're a Spider-Man fan, I think that that's the that's the big thing too. Like if you're a fan of this character in particular, like if you're a fan of Spider-Man, then I, I just then this is like just the greatest Christmas present. Like it's gift wrapped and it was a spe- and and it comes not only with a great wrapping and a nice bow but a special letter, love letter to you. Like like if you are a fan of this character because that's really what this was. It's a, a love letter to not only Spider-Man, but it's kind of a love letter to Spider-Man cinema. So, uh, so of course there are cameos galore and there are other people that are involved in this and I won't say any names or anything like that, but everything that this movie does, like when you, if you heard the synopsis and you heard like a basic outline of this movie, it sounds like a lot. And it's like, how could this movie possibly balance all of these things and tell a cohesive story, but not just a cohesive story, but one that's, that's a meaningful one that hits all the right notes and everything like that. And I got to hand it to Marvel studios. I mean, like, you know, we, we were just coming off of eternals, which I thought was a slip up by Marvel studios and I was so afraid going into this because I just kind of was feeling like, oh, man, is this going to be another blunder? Is this going to be another Eternals where we where we're trying to do so much and we just don't wind up doing hardly anything? Completely the opposite. I think that this really delivers the action is memorable like this has some action sequences and things and some encounters and things like that that i don't think i'll ever forget i think it's one of the tops in the mcu as far as just some of the action sequences that it has and just the moving pieces and everything like that uh you know we we got on the ghostbusters movie for kind of having fan service for the sake of fan service and sometimes movies do that they come out and there's fan service and you don't really feel though that it really elevates or helps the movie or anything like that i, I got to hand it to marvel studios again there's a lot of fan service in this film but it's fan service with a purpose it helps the plot along. It does something with the characters, with our main protagonist and the main characters that are here. 
it all sort of culminates into this uh, arc for our Tom Holland Spider-Man character. And I think it really works. In the end, it, it pushes every button that I think you need to press with a blockbuster. It gets you to feel... You know, there are times where you're feeling sad. There are times where you're angry. There are times where you're happy and just jubilant with what you see. There are times where it's reflective. And then in the end, I think the ultimately I walked away and I was satisfied with what they did and the new possibilities that this could possibly yield with the story that they told. So, yeah, man, in my opinion, uh, to me, this was like, this is now my favorite Spider-Man movie. I think it is the best of the live action Spider-Man movies for sure. Like I'm pretty, I like it's in front. I don't know how it's not, especially just with how well it did coming out in the buzz. And all I see on my timeline is Spider-Man stuff right now. It's like, everybody's just going Spider-Man crazy right now. Um, and, and, but uh, but but besides all of that, it was just a very good movie with good lessons. It's got a good message like it, it just delivers, man. And I think it's one of the few blockbusters I've seen so far this year that actually lived up to its hype in just about every way. Heather, what about you? I agree on a lot of that. Um, this is definitely now my favorite Spider-Man movie too. Um, it, it is, it's one of those that it's not only is it just like a good movie. It's, I mean, it's not without its flaws, but it's honestly just super entertaining. And it is a lot because of the fan service and just dynamics between certain characters that I really enjoyed. And it just made it so much fun. It's just one of the most fun Marvel movies, in my opinion. And definitely my favorite Spider-Man one. I was already a pretty big fan of the Spider-Man Tom Holland movies. And apart from the Captain America set of movies, the Spider-Man movies were my favorite set within the Marvel Universe, aside, you know, from just the normal Avengers, everybody together ones. So... I was looking forward to this because of that. And I just, I knew I was going to like this. Um, I just think, yeah, I think Tom Holland is a great Spider-Man. I I like Zendaya. I I like everything that they do with Spider-Man's character as far as um, character development for the most part. Um, And just storyline. And it, it moves the story along from when, you know, he's first introduced to the Avengers to now and after Endgame and everything that's happening. And it's just really well done. And it's just a really great set of movies within Marvel. So I knew I was going to like this and there were things that I had hoped would happen in this one that did. Uh, There were other things that, you know, I, I do feel like more than the others, this has a couple of plot holes in it that I think, you know, kind of are, its biggest flaw, but it is so fun and it's so good in the parts that it's good in that it didn't keep me from liking it. Like it didn't, I didn't completely ignore them, but at the same time I kind of ignored it because it was just so fun and it did all the things that I wanted it to do as a movie. Um, so I, I forgave it and I overlooked those things that I was like, wait, some of this doesn't make sense. 
So that being said, yeah, it is excellent acting, um, excellent dynamics between so many different people in this. Um, it is hard because there is, I mean, there's just so many, um, there's so many characters that are kind of introduced into this movie that it could fall flat because they're trying to do too much with too many characters. It suffered from that a tiny bit, but for the most part, it did not. So I think that with what they were trying to do with this, they did it in the best way they kind of really could with all the characters and giving them the time, the screen time and everything like that. So I, yeah, I just, I just had so much fun with this movie. Like this is the most fun Marvel movie since the original Avengers for me. I loved the original Avengers. I mean, Endgame and, you know, Infinity War were great and they were fun, but you know, also more on the sad side and things like that, which kind of all Marvel movies are, but I guess the excitement that I got from some things that happened in this, like it took me back to the original excitement from Avengers because that's when I first got into these movies. And it just kind of took me back to like, this is why these movies are awesome. And this is why I should love these movies and want to watch them. So I appreciate that it gave me that feeling a little bit. And also that it really does just kind of carry on the development of these characters. Like, I don't really feel like the characters, you know, they don't, they don't devolve in a sense. Like they really are kind of all evolving from when we first met all of them. Right. Um, Tom Holland is, you know, or Peter Parker is, you know, he still acts in a, in a way that a, a young kid who doesn't know much would. And I think it still works for who he is, but um, you know, it, it's just, there are some things that I'm like, with what you've experienced and seen, you probably, there's some things that you should probably be a little bit more aware of common sense wise than this. But for the most part, he is just kind of really a great example of character growth in the Marvel universe. So yeah, it, they had great action. They had great acting. They had the the humorous moments were actually humorous. You know, they did have a good message in this. They have the emotional moments. They really have everything that we love about the Marvel movies. So I liked this. I, I think that while it is my favorite, I also recognize that it probably has the most plot holes of the Spider-Man movies that I like. But even with that, it's still my favorite. If that tells you anything about how good I think this movie is. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, um. Um, um, oh boy. To me, to Sterling, to, to this fellow you were listening to now, this movie, I think I could describe best as saying it's a completely mediocre movie with, I think, above average fan service. I think when you get into things like fan service, it makes movies difficult to judge because if it links with you, you might overlook some very bad problems. If it doesn't link with you, you're going to be even more unforgiving of everything with it. 
if you go back and listen to our Ghostbusters episode, we rail on that movie constantly about going back and needing the first movie so much. So much so that to me, it felt like it was fan service because it didn't know what story it wanted to tell. It didn't know what direction it wanted to go. It didn't know what voice it wanted to have. So it relied so heavily on fan service that it it just kind of makes it a lackluster event. But I think if you go back and you look at something like Star Wars Force Awakens, which has a lot, a lot of similar beats to it that A New Hope has. I think, you know, to me, I always felt like the reason why it was so fan service in that way was because it was trying to reset Star Wars expectations. You know, older generations that truly love the original trilogy often hate the prequels. Well, the younger people happen to like the prequels, but I think it used that to try to reset expectations for what this new trilogy was going to be and wanted at the time at least to liken it back to the original trilogy now by the time you get to the end of it it may or may not succeed there that's a whole other conversation and me and justin had it quite at length on the rise of skywalker episode but i felt like that that's why it did its fan service now i go look at this movie And I'm like, why did it do its fan service? Was it an excuse because it didn't know what story it wanted to tell? Was it to cover up bad writing and bad flaws or anything like that? And to that, I say both, mainly with the flaws part. I think that there are a fairly large amount of flaws in this movie that made it very less than for me, Uh, especially whenever... If you've listened to any somewhat recent Marvel MCU review of ours, I tend to be less on Marvel because at least when it comes to the movies, I'm severely burned out for, and I have been for a while. That's not a new thing. I mean, you could hear it in our infinity war, which I think is our third episode ever. It's starting to creep in then. And it's definitely there by the time we hit Endgame. And I think, honestly, the best Marvel movie I've seen since Endgame, to me, would have to be, and I know we did, uh, what was that, Far From Home, which was the second Spider-Man movie, would have to also, would probably have to be Shang-Chi. Because to me, it did a little bit, at least enough different from your atypical Marvel movie to kind of stand out a little bit more than some of these other ones, you know, but it did it in a good way. Cause like we said in the Eternals episode and like kind of Justin, what he referenced earlier, Eternals drastically went against the typical Marvel grain, but didn't do it successfully. So it fell flat. So this movie to me, still kind of felt like peak Marvel. Just so much MCU-ness. And I just, I can't connect with that in movie form, at least right now. 
Maybe something will change me down the line, but right now I can't. I still can't connect with that. And I can't with the TV shows, though. TV shows, shows I think, are delightful right now. Anyway. But it does get into some heavy, heavy fan service. And I think it does so better than some things have lately. I think it had more reasoning behind it. I think it had more thoughtfulness behind it. And so it didn't feel like completely a cheap ploy. Just something to cover stuff up. It felt like they really had thought about what they wanted to do with the fan service in this. Now, I don't necessarily like all the fan service elements in this, but they did do a better job of that. So I am kind of in a weird place because I'm trying to sit here and think that if I strip away this fan service and look at this movie strictly on its own accord, is it good? And that's where I feel like it hits mediocre, especially. Because I think if you strip away a lot of that stuff and you look at just singularly what this movie has to offer, I do think it comes up lacking in a lot of ways. Now, one of those ways is not acting performances, because the acting performances in this are still very good. I don't think you get a bad performance from anybody in this movie. Now, I think some people are just there, but they still don't give a bad performance. And then there are some people that I'm like, why are you here? But they still gave a good performance. So, very weird. This movie does a lot of perplexing things to me. But still at the same time, I, I didn't really have a good time for a lot of the movie. And then if anybody knows my history with Spider-Man movies, and just in, in general when you encompass some of it, any, any referential treatments to anything else outside of Into the Spider-Verse, those aren't going to necessarily hit with me either. So, uh, very troublesome. Very troublesome indeed. So much so that I, I, I saw this movie, I think like five days ago now. And I don't think I've officially thought of a score yet. And I will be scrambling to do so mentally while Justin and Heather do so. Because I do want to be fair to this movie. And the, the, the final thing I'll say before we go into recommendations and scores is. I'm not going to hate on anybody liking this movie. Because I think if the, some of the things they did in this movie, if they do strike a chord with you. I very much understand why you like this movie. And might not perceive some of the things I perceive as flaws as flaws. You might think that this is more flawless than what I do. Not, I don't think anybody's really going to truly think it's flawless. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that maybe does. But I think the flaws are minimal to a lot of people. And I get that. I think if this movie maybe referenced other things, maybe I would have been more on board. 
but it wasn't. So we'll see. We'll see as I scramble mentally. Uh, recommendations and scores? Yep. Yep. Recommendations and score. Uh, Heather, go. I do definitely recommend this um, for many reasons because I enjoy the Spider-Man movies in the Marvel Universe. Um, if if you like the Marvel movies, if you like Spider-Man, if you like Tom Holland as Spider-Man, in general, if you like the character of Spider-Man, I think that you're going to find something in this that you'll like. Um, I agree with Sterling. I think it's definitely not without its flaws. But the, again, the things that they do right, they really do right. And it's just... It really, um, it moves along a lot of Spider-Man's personal story and um, things like that. And it, you know, it, it leaves some things up in the air, um, but it, it just, it has a nice way of kind of wrapping up this trilogy of three Spider-Man movies and just, yeah, I mean, the fan service is crazy, but it's crazy good. <laughs> like they do so much of it, but it really does pay off in a way so much better than most other fan service things that you'll see. Um, yeah, I, I do think it was a really, really good film. I just, I honestly was so entertained by so much of this and it was just so much fun to watch, honestly. And that's, you know, I, again, I acknowledge that I'm coming into this from a perspective of just like not knowing a lot of like the, the comic book stuff or anything like that. So I don't know if that would affect anybody else's judgment or score of this movie. But for me, I'm just coming in from a perspective of, I I just think these movies are so fun. Like it, it, I just, that that's really the best word that I can think of to describe this movie. It's just, it's a really fun, fun time. And it, it is up there for me as one of my, um, I would probably consider it one of my, um, my my favorite Marvel movies, just in the sense that I would probably rewatch this one before many of the other ones, if that makes sense. So I think for that, I would say, yeah, it's got to be up there as one of my favorites, you know, at least top five. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I definitely recommend it. I think it's a, a really good movie. Um, there's just going to be something in there for everybody. So I'm going to give it, um, I'm going to give it 90 rejection letters from uh, from MIT because you're infamous out of 100. Justin, what about you? Yeah, man, um, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go there, man. This movie is tight, man. This movie <laughs> is awesome. This is one of the, to me, for me, this was one of the best experiences I had at the movie theater all year. Man, the the theater that I was in, it was lit. Everybody was cheering, clapping, all kinds of stuff, man, for certain parts, certain cameos, this, that, and the other. And I mean, like I said, I, and I think it's just like all within the narrative, like, this isn't bad fan service in this movie. Like, not at all. I feel like, I really feel like, especially, I, I've gotten to see the movie twice and then reflect on it. And 
think about just like some of, you know, all of the intricate plot lines and everything like that. And I think it all works. Like, I think what they did really works in this film. And I didn't detect too many plot holes. Or if they were, there are things that maybe, you know, were purposely left that way because we can answer questions in a in a later movie and things like that. But honestly, I didn't detect too many flaws with this film. So I'm just so curious and can't wait to hear these glaring flaws that you guys are talking about, because I don't think the film has that many, honestly, uh, within the confines of the MCU and what the story was and everything like that. To me, it works pretty well as far as a story. Um, as far as the acting, man, shoot, the acting's pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Some of the acting that some of these actors get to do in here is some of the best acting they have done as these characters. I can say that. Like, there are performances in here that trump or beat these actors' performances in previous movies. And I think I can say that with confidence. Uh, the movie is also a first of its kind in the way that it kind of combines all of this history of Spider-Man cinema and everything like that. And then ultimately, the ending is very, very satisfying. It moves at a frantic pace. I mean, it starts so excellently. It's frantic. It's fun. You're looking around. You're like, oh, man, this is happening. That is happening. It starts at such a fun pace. Like, it immediately gets your juices going right when it starts. And it just doesn't really let up. And even when the film slows down and there's dialogue, all of these interactions are so new, are so fresh and so interesting you can't help but be compelled to listen to what this character is going to say to that character or what what are they going to do next or what's going to happen with the way these and a lot of the interactions that they come up with for these characters is fun it's entertaining it's about what you would expect a certain character to say or do and everything like that so a lot of this just felt so right to me, but I think it it scratches all it scratches every box, man. It's fun, it's entertaining, it gets you emotional, it has some emotional beats. It says something beyond just being an entertaining movie. And in the end, it leaves it open and it leaves things open and you can be excited for what is to come. And that's what a Marvel movie is supposed to do. That is definitely what this did. So with all that being said, uh, it, it's a great movie. It's the best live action Spider-Man. And I think it's right there with Spider-Verse as the best, as the two best um spider-man movies um as far as a score we're going to go we're, we're going to go with um 95 um sorcerer dungeons <laughs> out of 100 without saying too much well, at least the sorcery dungeons in the trailer uh so with this movie I think it does rely too much on on your ability to just fan out. I think it 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 has some issues with that because if you don't fan out in this movie it it's just not as good. It's just not. 
And I think, oh, I can't say that. That'd be too much of a spoiler. Uh, I don't, I don't agree with you, Justin, that it is up there with Spider-Verse. I think Spider-Verse just pound for pound, just top tier. Uh, as far as where I'd rank this in all live action Spider-Man, I guess I'd still put it in the top five. That's unfair because there's nine of them. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I guess top four. It'd be in the top four Spider-Man movies of all time. A little bit better than 50% uh, in its ranking, at least. I, I do think that I do think the acting is very well uh, is very good. And I do think you get some top tier performances from people that you don't, that we haven't seen them do that kind of stuff with Spider-Man before. I do agree with you on that, Justin. I do agree with you on that, Mm. but there's one particular thing in an actor in this movie that I'm just like, nah, man, fuck that guy. I don't like him as an actor, especially. (laughs) And that really kind of hurts this movie. So, yeah, that's that, that's that. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Uh, but. I mean, Tom Holland is a great Spider-Man and I do like the possibilities at which it ends and what that means for the MCU. I think they finally did correct a big problem that they were setting up in the MCU and I think that they corrected it at the end of this movie. No, do I completely agree with the other implications that that may or may not mean with that? Not necessarily. But I do like where it sets up Spider-Man in the MCU going forward. And just things in the MCU going forward. I think it sets that tone a little bit better than I think we had seen with some other stuff. You know... I didn't like how the, the 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 Eternals ended and the implications that that meant for the MCU, because I to me it felt like you were adding too much to stuff. And this is one of the things that I've been worried about with the MCU since Endgame, is that you've got things like the multiverse and Celestials and this and that and so many fucking things. They're like, well, what's going to be the cohesive narrative for? four, five, and six for phases four, five, and six, because we're just in four. You know, if you look at phases one through three, they had their own little mini story arcs, but then they had a grandiose story arc that they told throughout all three phases. And in this one, it's like, they're just, sometimes it feels like they're just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. And like, they're trying to go from there, you know, like if you're going to try to shove I mean, they're they're shoving some of the bigger fucking aspects and storylines and plot devices that Marvel has in general in their comic book arsenal. And they're throwing them all in there. And it felt like it was going to lose cohesion because of that. That, you know, this movie is a fucking multiverse movie. This movie is a celestial movie. But, you know, then your ultimate bad for this phase is this other random fucking person. But then next phase is this and that. And, like, it just, it felt less cohesive than the movies we were getting before. Whereas this one, I feel, corrects some of that a little bit. A little bit. And I appreciate that, at least. Um, 
overall, oh God, I didn't think enough about what score I was going to give it. But gut reaction right now, I'm going to give this 66. 66 really good lawyers out of 100. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spoilers? Yep. Yeah. Spoilers. All right, let's rip this Band-Aid off real quick. There's multiple Spider-Man in this movie. I mean, I don't think anybody's listening to this that hadn't seen it because a ton of people saw this because it made so much damn money. So much damn money its opening weekend. So everybody's fucking seen it. Uh, but yes, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, they do return as everyone suspected, as we suspected, as just the most obvious duh thing ever. They were in this movie. And... I was happy to see that the scene that I directly said in the trailer was going to have it did directly have it. So I felt some vindication in that I did start singing dashboard confessionals from Spider-Man two in my head during that scene. So I did feel, I did feel happy with that. Um, but I want to throw everybody for a loop here. Because I don't think we've done that enough lately. I want to surprise people. I want to change it up. I want to, I want to add some spice. That's all I want to say right now. I want, I want Justin to go. I want Justin to go full spoiler. So. Justin, take it away. Okay. That's interesting. No, I, um, I just, I feel like more people are going to agree with you than me. And I feel like more people are going to want to hear that at this point. That's all. I'm trying to be fair to our oh, listeners okay. and you. And I just feel like more people are going to want to hear the people liking it part. That's so I just, and you're more excited about it. I feel like you want to ha- say the things you want to say. Just changing it I up. I do. Exactly. So that's why you, you go. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I guess since you started with the whole uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, I'll just talk about that a little bit. And what I meant um, in our spoiler-free stuff about fan service, it didn't feel like fan service just for the sake of fan service. What I loved about those two coming in, regardless of if you predicted it or regardless of if you thought, you know, I mean, we may have been accurate or people may have been accurate on the predictions of them being in the movie. But one thing that we were inaccurate about, and I believe we talked about this in the Venom Carnage thing, we were talking about, you know, what, what watch them just come up at the end and help him at the end, and it'll just be a quick thing. They'll be in the movie. They'll help him at the end, and then they'll dip out. And that, and we probably thought that that's what this would be because we are, and that was kind of our prediction of how those two characters would be used. Because most of the time, when we you see fan service like this or cameos like this or anything like that, 
it's a quick in and out kind of deal. You know, you know, my biggest fear going into this is that it would just be a quick thing. Like they would suddenly appear right there at the end and then, you know, help Spider-Man beat up everybody. And then they go, all right. And then we're out. And it was just going to be kind of this quick thing. What I loved about this, though, is that they felt very intricate to this plot. They are instrumental in helping Parker um, get off the ground whenever he's like in his darkest hour, in his, in his darkest place uh, after Aunt May's death. It was really those conversations that he had with them that I think really started to turn the table of the movie. And then all of their interactions were great. They These actors weren't just hired to come in say a few lines and leave. They had a lot to do with this plot, with the story, pretty much the last half of this movie, they're in it and they're talk, you know, and they're talking and they're communicating with our Holland Spider-Man. They're interacting with him. They get to interact with the other villains. There are a lot of funny conversations and everything from just inside jokes like, um, like Toby, like Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, uh, fixing Toby Maguire's back and everything. And I laughed at that because I d- vividly remember back when, uh, Toby did the Toby Maguire Spider-Man, there was a whole thing about how his back got hurt or something like that doing the third film, or maybe it was the second film. I know it was one of the films and Toby was talking about how, it hurt his back and stuff like that. So that little gag in there about like Andrew Garfield helping him with his back, it's a funny scene. And I mean, if you don't know any of that, it's still kind of a funny, it's it's just a funny scene because those two guys were just on point. They were just doing so great as their Spider-Man characters. But even like little inside jokes like that, we're all in this movie and it was just really cool. It was just a big reward for fans who have followed these Spider-Man movies. But what I loved about them is just how intricate they were in this plot. They, it was, it didn't feel cheap to me. It didn't feel like, Oh, they're going to come in, do a quick thing. And then they're going to be out of the movie, which is what I really appreciated about them, uh, being in the movie. Um, there's this whole message in this movie about second chances and and redemption and things like that. And I'm glad that if these two actors don't ever get to play Spider-Man again, though the Andrew Garfield rumors are now just flying off the handle right now. But if they don't get to play these Spider-Man characters again, I love that this is the last movie with them as Spider-Man, you know, and that hug that that Tom Holland Peter gives them toward the end and where he just hugs them and kind of thanks them that thank you for paving the way for being the Spider-Man before I was Spider-Man. That was awesome, dude. Like, like I just really was feeling uh, all of that. And I'm not one of those people who's like the the Tom Holland Spider-Man, the I mean, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man are garbage. And the Amazing Spider-Man movies are garbage. 
I'm not really in that camp. I really think that, you know, I went back and watched the first two Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. I still think that they're good movies. There are, there are parts that I don't like, but none of those things that I didn't like about them are deal breakers to me. I mean, they're, they're pretty much the comic book, like the, especially the first movie. The first movie is pretty much the Spider-Man comic book with a few changes here or there. So it's weird to hear people go, I don't like that. It's like, so you don't like the comic book? Well, like, Justin, it's just kind of weird to not like that movie. I have a quick because, question for you, though. Yeah. Why didn't you watch the third Tobey Maguire movie? Because it's <laughs> terrible, bro. <laughs> I just had to. That one is, I just had to. I was going to get there. But yeah, the, you know, I was going to say, notice that I didn't watch the third one because it's terrible, bro. I already know about that. But, um, but, but I like those two. And The Amazing Spider-Man, I, you know, I, I like the first one. I like it. I do think it is below the first two Toby Spider-Man. So I put it like third and then the amazing and the amazing Spider-Man too. It was just one of those movies, you know, it's like Eternals or like Justice League. It was just trying to do too much. They were trying to set up the Sinister Six, all this and all that, but there were still some things to like about it, especially Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I liked him as Spider-Man and I loved his relationship with Gwen and then um, with Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy and going back and watching it. I still like them. I still like them. I really, really liked them. So the fact that these actors got to be in this movie and sort of kind of redeemed themselves from the way things ended with them both, whether you're talking about Spider-Man 3 or you're talking about the amazing Spider-Man 2, this redeems them in a sense that, not saying that it completely makes up for those bad movies. I mean, those movies will always exist. But the fact that their last performances, if if they are, gets to be this movie, to me, that's a cool kind of redemption for those actors. And not only them, but like the villain, some of the villain actors as well. William Defoe, my goodness, William Defoe. Seeing William Defoe in this movie as the Green Goblin is almost worth the price of a ticket alone. He was ridiculous in this movie. Like just the 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 transformation into Goblin, the 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 impact that he has on our Tom Holland Peter Parker, the 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 lines and the way that he delivered them. The, the, there's a scene that I vividly remember where Peter Parker is punching him and they're like in Happy's um, apartment building or whatever. And there's a big fight. And and all, and that was a great fight too. them just slugging it out. And I saw a power bomb through f- walls and a spine, a wrestling spine buster through floors and stuff. They were doing some really cool stuff in the fights, but there's a part in particular where Tom Holland, Spider-Man is punching green goblin And he's punching William Defoe, and William Defoe just starts laughing and he makes his goblin face. And that man, like, I I mean, I just loved his performance here. Like, I think his performance as the Green Goblin in this is better than his performance in Green Goblin uh, in the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. So I had to get him a kudos, man. He was one of the MVPs of this. Uh, But the Tom Holland Spider-Man, dude, I really think he really brought 
his acting chops here. Like the the scene that we get to where with Aunt May's death, man, he was so good in that scene. He was also great after that scene when the Spider-Man approached him and he's talking about how, look, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to get everybody back to where they need to be. You know, I tried to do the right thing and now my aunt is dead and I'm done with this shit. You know, I'm I'm done. He had so many scenes where, where he was excellent, Tom Holland. So I just really, really appreciate what he brought to this film. I just really think that this is the best acting that he's had to do because this is a much darker movie than the other Spider-Man movies. This is way darker than Homecoming and this is way darker than Far From Home. And I think it had to go that way because this is like some real Spider-Man shit. Like there are people who were on the fence about the first two um, movies, Homecoming and Far From Home from Tom Holland. And it was, and I heard all kinds of things like he's iron people calling him iron boy junior and people saying, well, it's a departure. It's too much of a departure from the Spider-Man that we know because the Spider-Man that we know is always going through tragedy and he has to make tough decisions and things like that. And even though some of that is, I think, a little ridiculous because I do think he had to make some big choices in homecoming. I do think he had to do, he had to arrive to a certain place in far from home. But I think when you look at it as a totality of movies and on the entire trilogy, it was the perfect growth from this character. You know, this little boy just, you know, first being Spider-Man and thinking that he wanted to be part of the Avengers and him sort of learning that, no, I want to stay on the ground. I want to be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that what I do, um, Spider-Man in New York is important too. And then, and, and then in far from home, it was some kind of about getting out of, from under Stark's shadow, you know, Tony Stark had died and everything like that. And it was him trying to deal with that. And he made some, um, and he was literally trying to get away from the responsibility of being Spider-Man literally took a vacation, but, but within the vacation, he was trying to avoid Nick Fury and trying to avoid doing this mission and everything. Then the whole thing with Mysterio happens that he sort of has to accept that he has to do this his own way and that he's he can't live up to Tony, but he can be his own man. And then we get to this movie and the tragedy that Parker has to go through with Aunt May's death and the and him having to come to grips with some of the decisions he made trying to um, fix, so to speak, or cure these villain characters and the decisions that he made and the cost that that actually had. And then even at the end of the movie, him making the difficult choice to let his friends go in that moment, because once this spell is reversed and everything happens, I loved how it wasn't like this spell by Dr. Strange was reversed and everything is okay. There were real consequences. And one of those consequences is, is that everybody forgets that he's Spider-Man. So, and he had told um, MJ and Ned that he would come to them, even though they were going to forget, he would come to them and he would tell them about everything that happened. And at the end of this, when he des- when he makes the decision not to do that, when he makes the decision to go, no, 
when they knew me, I hurt them. And he decides to just go on being Spider-Man and having nobody know him. And he kind of, in a, in a way, chooses to leave his friends be because of how dangerous his life is. A lot, in a lot of people's minds, this was the first time that this Tom Holland Spider-Man really became more of the Spider-Man that we know and love. So in its own kind of beautiful way, this movie is almost like an origin story. It's almost like the end of an origin story where we finally get this Parker who has faced tragedy and had to really make some tough decisions. And then in the end, sort of does the right thing, you know, with great, he has the power and he uses that to be more responsible about his choices and his friends. And so like, so, so almost in a way, it's almost like this ended the journey of him fully becoming the Spider-Man that if you're a comic fan of Spider-Man, you're, this is what we're more used to and more familiar with. And it was so fitting that at the end of this, he sewed his own costume. And when he goes out web slinking at the end of the movie, he's in the classic Spider-Man costume because now that is kind of where the character is emotionally and mentally and kind of as a character arc, he is a Rob to kind of more of the Spider-Man we know and know and we know and love. He's been through some stuff. He's been through some tragedy, some real, he had to make some real decisions and those decisions had consequences. And that's the beautiful thing about Spider-Man. If you're a fan of this character, you know what I'm talking about. That's ultimately what makes him such a great character, in my opinion, the greatest Marvel superhero. That's what makes him. And it was so cool that this movie really delved into that. You know, it delved into this message about second chances. And not only did these actors from these other movies get a second chance, these villains from these other movies kind of get a second showing and things like that. But it was also kind of Parker trying to get his second chance and the Tom Holland Parker trying to get his second chance. And then the consequences that that um, can bring. But in also in a way, it's a second chance for this Spider-Man MCU character, because now we can go all these different directions with this Spider-Man in kind of a new world where nobody knows him and he's got to kind of deal with that and everything like that. He's in an apartment by himself, probably trying to go to college. So and he's going to be trying to make ends meet. And now he's doesn't have that guardian and everything like that. Like this is really a second chance to really um, do this character. And the last thing I'll say, and I'll let somebody go because I feel like I've been going long. And I mean, I didn't say everything. We can dip back in here at different times, but um, like, but but other people were good too. Like Doctor Strange, I think was good in this. They found ways to keep him out of the story because that was another thing I was concerned about. Like, how are they going to have Doctor Strange in this? Because he could just wreck shot everybody. But they found a way to kind of take him out of the movie, get rid of him for a bit, and then he comes back in, and then something happens to defer his attention. So I really like how the story went about removing him so that Spider-Man could kind of go on this journey and then bringing him in at the right times to do what he needed to do to get the plot where it needed to go. 
Uh, it also sets up the multiverse because it looks like all of this happening is definitely going to have some consequences for Doctor Strange when you get to the end credits. And then probably the best decision that they made was the Tom Hardy, Eddie Brock Venom. He wasn't really in this. Oh, thank goodness. I can just like <laughs> blow a sigh of relief because my biggest fear going into this was is that somehow Venom is going to be involved and he's go- he might help the resolution at the end and everything like that. They didn't do that at all. He's nowhere in the movie until you get to the credit scene. And then in the credit scene, uh, Tom Hardy Venom goes back to his universe. But we left a splotch of the symbiote. So that so, ladies and gentlemen, now we can have an MCU Venom. We can have a different Venom. We can do a different venom for the MCU and it'll probably be way better because you're going to have Marvel studios, people doing the story. And I mean, like I couldn't, I mean, I'm just so happy that he wasn't really a part of this movie. He just served the purpose of we can get that symbiote here. So now we can do something with the symbiote. And so I'll wait and see what happens, man, you know, but, but overall I was happy with this. I just think that it was great. It's very well paced. And like I said, the fight scenes, uh, the, the doc, Ock Spider-Man iron spider fight scene at the beginning was a great fight scene. The fight scene with, um, with him and green goblin in the apartment was great. The fight at the end with all three of the Spider-Man and the, and, and the sinister five ish, you know, at the end of the movie, um, uh, cause technically Venom was the sixth member, but it, of course he wasn't really in it to the end credits, but, uh, but yeah, even all of that at the end was great. Them getting beat up and then having to realize we got to work as a team and then teaming up better and doing it and coming, formulating a plan and using their spider brains and science and all that stuff. It was great, man. It, 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 I, like I said, it's a love letter to Spider-Man. It has everything that you that a fan, I think, would want in this movie. It does the character justice. And then it also gets the character where it needs to be for stories going forward. So yeah, it, it was tight, man. I, I really, really, really enjoyed this. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to take my turn yet. Uh, I just do want to talk about the venom part real quick, just cause you brought it up very late in your, your little talk there, Justin. That made that scene actually genuinely made me mad because it makes no sense why part of the Venom symbiote we get left. We already know from the end credit scene in Venom that there are symbiotes in, the, in other universes of the multiverse. So it would make sense that just have one of them come, especially because if I'm remembering correctly, Venom does say that they have the collective consciousness of all the symbiotes, even across the multiverse. So, because that's, I think, technically what they're trying to say happened to Venom, why he got pulled into this universe, into the MCU, is because since Spider-Man 3's Venom knows Peter Parker was Spider-Man, all symbiotes know, or symbiotes know that Peter Parker's Spider-Man, therefore that's why they got pulled, was because of that, because that's why people got pulled into this universe, supposedly. 
And so that's why he's there. And then he got sent back because of the spell. But I, I still got mad that they did the whole, oh, but part of the symbiote stayed here. Like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. The magic would have pulled him. Like, why didn't the magic pull it too? That makes no sense to me. It's dumb. To me, that was just one of those Sony decisions. That Sony's like, oh, but we're going to do this because we have to still justify why we keep making shitty Venom movies. Anyway, that's that's all I wanted to say about that part right now. I've got more, but that's it. Uh, Heather. Well, that's definitely one way to look at it. Um, but also, like, this spell... You know, I, well, well, that that would also have to be based on the fact that maybe he did the spell perfectly. Like the thing is, is that throughout the movie, like when Strange first contains the spell, he contained it, but that wasn't perfect either. And you still have these people from these other universes leaking out and stuff like that. So, I mean, that spell wasn't perfect at the beginning. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that when he did this spell, maybe that was there was a point, a 99.9 part of it that wasn't complete or didn't work or he didn't quite do it as perfect as it could be. So, I mean, you know, we got an imperfect spell at the beginning of the film and maybe we got an imperfect spell after the film. But so I, I don't know. I mean, he could have just that could have been a miscalculation of Dr. Strange. But either way, I'm excited about the prospect of an MCU Venom because I think it's going to be way better than the Tom Hardy, uh, Eddie Brock Venom. Or at least I hope it is. At least I can have hope that there'll be a different one. And that's kind of exciting, I think. What if when Venom shows up in Spider-Man and it's like a new Venom, what if he says the classic Venom line of you're like a turd rolling uphill or something (laughs) like that? What if that's the first thing he says to Spider-Man? How would you feel, Justin? (laughs) I'd be so mad. I just (laughs) I'd grumble. I'd grumble. I just think that's funny because. This is kind of a non, like a, like a little tangent, but it still applies. I was on TikTok earlier today and, you know, cause Venom, you can now buy or rent the movie Venom to, you know, let there be carnage, you know, far from home or whatever. And this person was like, I never, nobody ever told me that the Venom two movie was this funny. And then it showed the scene where carnage is like, I'm going to kill you, father. And the priest goes, oh, no. And then he goes, not you, father. You, father. (laughs) And that was the example of how funny that movie is. And I was like, oh, you dear sweet child. You don't you've never seen anything funny. (laughs) So I just hope we get one of those, you know, classic shitty uh, Venom jokes. First time he shows up on screen, just shitty Venom joke. Just to, and he could be the best Venom we've ever seen. I just want him to start with a bad Venom joke. Set the tone. Just to kind of knock you down a little bit, Justin. Just to make you a little sad. Right before he becomes like the best Venom or whatever. I just think that'd be funny. Man. Man, I would grumble, man. I'd grumble really loud. The person next to me would be annoyed. 
It'd be a loud ass grumble. Food. Would you would you grumble as loud as people cheered probably when Tobey Maguire showed up on screen? Yeah, man. <laughs> you would grumble yeah. with that much ferocity? Yes, I would. It'd be the most ferocious grumble. And the people back there would be like, damn, he grumbled. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Heather, what about you? By the way, my theater was clapping for literally everything. <laughs> like I they clapped, was uh, so mad during this movie. Yeah. Because they the audience was being ridiculous. Yeah. Like we're fucking they adults for Andrew Garfield. Yeah, they clapped for Andrew Garfield. They clapped for Tobey Maguire. They clapped for some of the fighting and uh, who knows something else. And then they even clapped with like the the scene where Zendaya and Tom Holland or Peter Parker and MJ like kiss towards the end before he says he's gonna you know have to make them forget him. People were clapping at that scene. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, why is everybody clapping at literally everything in this movie? Weirdly but enough, anyways, people, um, people didn't cheer for Andrew Garfield. Really? You know, you heard a few <gasps> or some <laughs> like some like some some happy noises. They, they erupted when fucking Tobey Maguire came on the screen. <laughs> and I'm like, you knew this was happening at least. I know we all knew it was happening, whatever, but I'm like, but you had already gotten revealed that Andrew Garfield is in this movie. So obviously fucking Tobey Maguire is too, you know, like right. just like, fuck man. Like why are people cheering for their fucking movies? I don't get it. I don't get it. If you are one of those people, I guess do what makes you happy. But I just don't understand when people cheer in a movie theater. I just don't get it at all i have never been moved to do that ever even remotely <laughs> close the the best reaction you will get out of me in a movie theater is i might smile that's as crazy as i'll get in a movie theater i will <laughs> smile anyway continue sorry no that's good um yeah i mean and just to kind of tag off of that too like I I really liked Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Like I I liked his Spider I liked the Amazing Spider-Man movies, the first one more particularly, but I actually think Andrew Garfield was a really good Spider-Man. And I think it's because he has like this really good acting range like more so than Tobey Maguire does. Like I just think the vulnerable moments of Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man were great, but also the, the wit and the humor, the quick, the quick things that he would do. Like he was really good with that. Like he just really, I think was a good Spider-Man. Um, he was, I mean, <laughs> of the, of the three, I mean, before Tom Holland came along, Andrew Garfield was my favorite Spider-Man, but, um, you know, I just, I, I, I really think the best part for me about this movie was just the dynamics between the Spider-Men. <laughs> I just think it was so funny and so much fun. And like, they were clearly sort of making fun of things about the characters that they play that they know, you know, that should be made fun of in a sense. But I, I just thought it was such a great combination of their back and forth. Like when they're <laughs> like the scene, when um, they're talking about like the villains that they've, you know, come up against and like, 
defeated. Like just it was just like a bunch of kids just talking about like things, you know, when when Tom Holland's like he's like, hey, so what's the craziest villain that you've been up against? Like just they're really just talking like they're all buddies and like it, it was just really funny to me. And um, you know, and just the whole thing about like how <laughs> how Andrew Garfield is like Spider-Man number three and just little things like that that they put in the movie that I think were really you just very witty. Um, and I, I really, I do have to say, I loved very much the moment of um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man getting his redemption moment when he saves MJ. Um, I loved that moment because that was, I mean, I think Jaston really nailed it when he said that both of the Spider-Men kind of get like their redemption in this movie of, you know, how they're, universes or their stories of the other movies left off and it was just very apparent in this one because yeah i mean obviously you know he couldn't save gwen stacy and so the minute that he sees that mj is about to die the exact same way he's like no this can't happen and he goes and he saves her and like gets emotional and chokes up and like starts crying of relief or sadness or all of the things and I loved that moment. I think that that was such a great moment for him. And I love that that was what they did with his character in this, you know? Um, yeah. The crowd, just to say something quickly about that, the crowd erupted on that part, man. Oh, really? Like when he caught MJ, everybody just cheered because they knew what that meant. And yeah. just to talk about Andrew Garfield, he was like low key great in this. Like, wasn't oh, yeah. he though? Like, like, I loved his interaction with MJ and Ned when he first came out and she was like, stick to the wall. He was hanging there and all of that back and forth <laughs> yeah. that they did. Like, Andrew Garfield was very good in this. And yeah, you're right. Like, the acting that he did when he caught MJ, that was great. Like that is a great scene. And see, that's the kind of stuff where sure, yeah. these other movies have fan service and stuff like that, but that is way beyond the Ghostbusters showing up at the end and shooting some streamers at a, <laughs> at, at a, at a ghost or whatever. That's, this is like good fan service. Like, Hey, yeah. fan service movies, this is the kind of model you need to follow. This is the kind of stuff where people walk away going, okay, that was really cool that they did that. They could have made a million other decisions, but they decided to do that. Same thing with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. I'll let you go ahead. I'm not going to take over here, but like him too, his one of his biggest regrets was letting Green Goblin die and not being able to save him and stuff like that. So it was very fitting what he did at the end of the film. Also, the McGuire Spider-Man. Yeah, no, I mean, and even like even Garfield's like um, when he's talking about, you know, how he lost Gwen, you know, because all when they're all sharing like their moments of, you know, hardship that they went through him talking about that like i he just really nailed it you know because i i've always thought that tom holland has this incredible way of delivering lines and emotions um even in this with with aunt may when aunt may dies and how he's just kind of like you know it's like he doesn't want to believe it's happening but he also knows that it's happening and just trying to have like some kind of resolve with what's happening with it 
you know, when he's just like, what are you doing, Aunt May? Like, wake up. You're going to be fine. You know, like all of that. He just, Man. he has, yeah, that was hard. It, he has just a way of, in those moments when he's supposed to be very vulnerable or emotional or sad, he nails it every time. I think Tom Holland is fantastic at that. Um, you know, when he's crying over Aunt May, when all the Spider-Men are there talking, he's phenomenal. He, he's actually, I think, I already think he's a really good actor. I think he really, when he, as he develops and gets older, he's going to be a great actor um, if he continues to take good roles. Because <laughs> let's face it, outside of the Spider-Man movies, he hasn't really done movies that were very memorable. Not that they're his fault, because he probably did great in them, but they're just not good movies. But, um, but that being said, Andrew Garfield is also on that level. I was like, I don't know, man. He's given Tom Holland a run for his money as far as like showing that emotion, you know, like on that, that level. And I just appreciated that. And it reminded me of why he was such a good Spider-Man, in my opinion. Tobey Maguire, um, to be honest, I've never been a huge on him in general. I'm not a big like fan of his acting or his Spider-Man, he was fine. You know, he was fine. I enjoyed the first set of movies with him in it, uh, minus the third, but you know, I, I enjoyed that, but it, it was not hard for me to say very quickly that I think Andrew Garfield was a better Spider-Man. Um, and I just think he has more range. He has more, he has more talent in that way, more range acting wise. Um, but I will say Tobey Maguire, I think actually I, I had no issues with him, really, as far as what he did with this movie. I mean, I, I liked him in this. I think he did a great job in this movie, too, for for what he did. Um, I will say I don't quite understand why they kind of almost did a fake out of that he was going to die. Um, you know, when he gets stabbed by Green Goblin, like, I I thought that that meant he was about to die. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> this is about to get intense. And then it wasn't that he was just very badly injured and then they did nothing else with it. So I didn't really understand the point of that in this, um, which was just one of my issues. I was just like, well, that was kind of like a, like it amounted to nothing. Like, I don't know why did they need to do it? You know? Um, but you know, that's just my opinion on that. But, um, you know, all that to say, I really, I just think their, their dynamics together of, just their chemistry and their back and forth banter that they had all of the, all three Spider-Men, like it was so good. It was just really amusing and so entertaining because yeah, it's just like the things that people would make fun of about, about those, those characters in those, their respective movies or, you know, even outside of it a little bit, like it was just really well done with how they did that. And I'm like, if you're going to do the fan service with it, and you're going to bring all the Spider-Man into the same universe, that, that's the way to do it. It honestly is. Like, they just really did that so well. And um, I just really appreciated seeing all of them on the screen together and just having, you know, working together as a team. And, you know, again, they're back and forth and all of that. It was just really good. Um, so, yeah, I think that was definitely the most entertaining thing about this movie. And even the villains, like, I really liked them because, like, um, yeah, Willem Dafoe is, I mean, he's just kind of top-notch anyway, but he he's the best, uh, he's the best at being a villain of the people that were in it. And, and that's not to say that the others aren't good, especially, like, actors. I mean, 
you know, I mean, Jamie Foxx, he's great. You know what I mean? Um, and I actually liked his character from the Amazing Spider-Man movie better in this, too. Um, and I think yeah, him and- he was way better in this. Right. Yeah. Right. He's another character who I think really this makeover and this being his last if this is his last performance as that character, this was better. You know, the, the, this was better for sure when it comes yeah. to Jamie Foxx. And I just I think him and Andrew Garfield were very funny together. Um, and um, Alfred Molina, you know, Doc Ock, he is, um, you know, he's he's obviously a great actor, too. And I, I really I liked his villain character, probably the best of the ones in this movie, just as far as his story arc. But, um, you know, all of them, they're great actors and everything and, and they play great villains. But Willem Dafoe, there's just something about what he does that just makes you be like, I'm paying attention to you right now because you there's something, there's something there about him. Um, but you know, and even, um, you know, Dr. Strange in this, like he, he was a good addition. Obviously we knew that he was going to be in this from trailers and things like that. I do think that it's so the whole thing of how he got trapped in the mirror place or wherever he was. Um, I, I feel like that was a little bit like he would have found a way out of that way sooner than he did. <laughs> so that's another thing that I was like, eh, that not necessarily a plot hole, but just something I was like, I just, it's Dr. Strange. I feel like he would have found a way out of that sooner, but who knows? Um, but in any case, I just think that um, the, yeah, just the dynamics between everybody and just how they all played off of each other. Villains with Spider-Man, Spider-Man with Spider-Man, MJ with Spider-Man, like all of it. It's, they just really did it very well. Um, I do think that it, I guess like one of the other, one of the things I will say that I was like kind of pondering was, the the whole idea that Peter Parker, you know, Tom Holland, Peter Parker was just like, I can save you guys. You know, I can fix you guys. I can save you all of this with these really, you know, insanely dangerous villains. Um, I guess I just don't know. I mean, maybe it's just like the optimist in him and the whole like, I just want to make everything better in him. But I just feel like it's very like, why would he assume that they wouldn't be villainous towards him? <laughs> Like, like they tried to kill the Spider-Man of their universes and, you know, they clearly, yeah, they clearly wanted their Spider-Man dead. Like, why would he, I feel like he trusted them for no good reason <laughs> in that sense of, you know, just really trusted them to be more moral, <laughs> morally sound and, you know, everything than they than they sh would have been because they're villains and they want to kill Spider-Man. So he, he just had this very misguided thing about like, no, it's okay. I'll fix it. It's cool. And, and again, it's part of his character and personality, but I just feel like with everything that he's gone through and everything he's seen, like I would be way more hesitant to just be like, yeah, totally. I'm going to help these guys, you know, but that's again, the preference thing of, I just didn't, I just feel like he was too trusting of them and I didn't know why. Um, as far as like 
the plot holes I was talking about. And I say plot holes for lack of a better word. That was just the closest I could think of to what they were. Um, I think like one of my questions was, you know, Dr. Strange did this spell and he made it where everybody forgot who Spider-Man was as far as who's the identity of Spider-Man. Does that also mean like the ones in the other universes, the same thing happened, you know? And like, if not, why? Because he said that, you know, he said like, oh, like everybody's going to forget who Spider-Man is. You know, if, um, if, if at the beginning the spider or the multiverse villains were able to come into this world and whatever, like, I just feel like what, what does that mean for the Spider-Man of the other universes? You know, does it mean the same thing? Were they also going to not be remembered? And if not, why, why is that the exception? You know what I mean? I guess that's one of my questions as far as like not understanding what that would mean. Um, which I know you guys might have some thoughts on that, but like another thing sort of along those same lines is like, like, <laughs> um, when, like, why couldn't he just, when Dr. Strange wanted to do that, that spell and everything, I mean, why didn't he just say, okay, do it how, you know, you want to do it. And then he can just like retell the people that he wanted to know. Like it's, I mean, he told them once and it's not like a lot of them have known for very long other than Aunt May and Happy. It's not like they knew for that long or even Ned, but you know, he could have just retold them, I guess. And I just don't know why he was so against just being like, okay, like it sucks that they're not going to remember, but I can retell them. I feel like it would have like, I guess we wouldn't really have a movie that way, but I just don't understand why he wouldn't have wanted to do that. And, um, and then also just like, if, you know, if nobody knows who Peter Parker is, like, how does he get around and do anything? <laughs> like, how could he, like, get or afford or whatever that apartment that he got at the end? Like, <laughs> I just didn't understand how that would have worked if if nobody knows who he is. So, yeah, that those were just a couple of things I had questions on. Again, small things in comparison to how much I really did enjoy this movie and like it, like I, it doesn't take away from how much I enjoyed this movie. I just, I feel like I noticed those things a little bit more in this one than I had in past movies. Maybe I think about that more now. Maybe that's why, but in either case, like it it doesn't take away from how much I enjoyed the movie. It was just things that I thought about that. I was like, maybe there is an explanation and I just don't understand what it was supposed to be. So I just want to know, but um, yeah, those were just kind of my, my things that I was sort of questioning. But again, I really just, I, I loved, I loved what they did with these characters and all of their redemptions and all of their dynamics together. Um, Also, I think probably one of my favorite comments in the movie was (laughs) when when Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker asked Tobey Maguire if he was going to dress like a cool youth pastor <laughs> or if he was going to wear a suit. I don't know why. Like I actually like laughed out loud that at that part. Funny. I thought that was really that was funny. funny. Yeah. But um. anyway, so that's just kind of my thoughts on it. But again, overall, I, I am definitely in Jason's camp with this. Like, I think it was a really, really great movie. M M M M. 
Oh boy. First and foremost, my biggest problem with this movie. I hated the entire fucking Aunt May dying fucking bullshit. I hated every fucking thing about that. Just every mm-hmm. little thing about it. Just because it truly felt like they were trying to shove the Spider-Man origin into the third fucking movie. What the fuck is this? It's like having Batman's parents get killed in the third movie. Makes no fucking sense. It truly doesn't. Especially because they already alluded to the great power comes or with great power comes great responsibility, whatever. They alluded to that in Civil War with him about Uncle Ben. Because he says the whole thing of, you know, if you've got the ability to do something, you don't do it. Bad things can happen. We all know what they were saying in that scene. They were saying with great power comes great responsibility without saying the fucking phrase. That was one of the things I enjoyed the most about the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies is they didn't feel the fucking terrible ass need to go. You know what? We need to show Spider-Man's origin story again. We need to show (laughs) Uncle Ben dying again. And instead, they wait for the third movie and just kill Aunt May and do the same shit. That was annoying as fuck to me. I understand that you have to have the obligatory someone dies in a Spider-Man movie so he can go to a funeral fucking thing in the end. You had to do that because you do it in almost every other goddamn Spider-Man movie. So, of course, you have to do it in this one. So, of course, it has to be Aunt May at this point. But fuck, man. You don't have to do all that same shit. I know that. And, and, yeah, I get that. And, and you alluded to it, Justin. I knew, do know that a lot of Spider-Man's lore comes from people dying around him. I get that. Yeah, Spider-Verse was the same way. There was uh, essentially an Uncle Ben per- kind of person or a tragedy in all of their stories, too. So it's pretty consistent with Spider-Man's origins. Yeah, but I'm just but Uncle Ben died in this universe. We already got that. Technically, they already alluded to it. We all knew it happened. It happened already. We don't need to do it again. But I'm just saying that, like, if you look at all Spider-Man movies... Almost all of them end with a fucking funeral. Almost all of them. And while technically there wasn't a funeral in this movie, uh, he visited her gravesite. It's the same shit. It's the same shit. Let's be real. But I understand that that is a big part of his lore that people die in Spider-Man's life. But this is the equivalent of having a major character in his story like in his life dying every six issues in the comic because six issues is a storyline story arc in a comic. There's six issues. That's it it really is. It's the same equivalent that somebody dies every fucking six issues of Spider-Man. You'd all fucking hate it if that was the case, but we accept it in the movies. No, that's, that's terrible to me. Like I said, the one thing I appreciated is they didn't fucking dumb down Spider-Man and do the Uncle Ben fucking dying again in the fucking movies because we've seen it a billion times. No, they just waited till the third one to do the same shit. That pissed me the fuck off. It truly did. It was a slap in the face to me. And I felt like it should have been a slap in the face to Spider-Man fans everywhere. I understand it wasn't. I get it. And it's not even that she died. I'm fine with them changing how things happen. 
but it's still it's it's the Uncle Ben death in the third movie. To me, that's dumb. That's insulting. And I can't believe they wanted to do that and people thought it was a good idea. I actually thought we might be getting a fake out. I thought when Aunt May got hit by the glider, I thought we were going to get a fake out. And I was actually going to be happy with that, that we thought she was going to die and that she wouldn't. I thought we were going to get that because that's something we don't get a lot of in Spider-Man is a fake out death. Nope. Nope. They just went the fucking typical ass route again. And that was just completely just terrible in my, in my opinion. I, I don't see the point in a lot of the villains they threw in this movie. Why was Sandman and Lizard in this movie? Really? Zero fucking point to have them in here. I'm not saying that they were bad. There's just no point. Like, especially when those actors couldn't be on set. Neither one of those actors could be on set. All their scenes where they ended up turning human, which is at the very end, they lifted that from the other fucking movies. Sandman turning back into Thomas Hayden Church, they stole that from Spider-Man 3. They lifted it directly from it. That's not new footage. Same with what's his name, Reese Ephens, or however the fuck you say his name, when he went turned human. They lifted that. Now, they did come back and do the voice work. They did the ADR voice work for their characters, but that's why they were also 100% CGI until the end. But their characters served a zero point. Like, Sandman was the most confusing of all, because he's like, hey, you know, we came to an understanding, and now I'm mad at you again. For why? And then when he's, like, sitting there, and he's like, send me home. I want to go home. So I'm going to fight you so you can't send me home? I No fucking sense. None. Whatsoever. Now, and I do agree with you guys. Jamie Foxx was a, was, was a delight in this movie. His version of Electro in this movie was downright glorious. But the personality change made no sense. I think they tried to justify it by <laughs> saying the energy in this universe was different. Okay, so he absorbed the energy mm. and he's no longer a little nerd guy? It fixed his hairline? No longer needed glasses? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Dumbest explanation ever. And just, and don't get me wrong, I liked him. I think that they should have just pulled him and said he was an Electro from another, another universe. You know, this is the multiverse. It didn't oh, have to yeah. be from those two. Just say he's a different fucking Electro. That's fine. Because there is zero reason to say he's the same Electro as the Andrew Garfield one, with the exception of they wanted them to have a dynamic in the movie. That's the only reason why they did it. I think it would have made more sense to say he was the Electro from the Tobey Maguire movie or universe. We just hadn't seen him yet in the movies. That would have made more sense to me. Mm. Now, I will say this. That banter he had with Andrew Garfield at the end of the movie was kind of funny. When he's like, I really thought yeah. you were going to be black. Yeah. <laughs> and Andrew Garfield's like, like that. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah. A, I like that those were nods to Miles Morales. 
and the fans' desire to have Miles Morales in live action. But I, I, I yeah, that was like a good little funny line and all this stuff. But okay, it, it still doesn't justify everything else you did. <laughs> like one little quip doesn't justify a whole half a movie's worth of scenes. Um. Also, the whole premise of the the shit when they're like, uh, you know, it pulled over villains. It was pulling over people that knew Spider-Man was Peter Parker from across the universe. Uh, That's not technically true either. Because, you know, Electro didn't know that he was Peter Parker. As evidenced by the scenes in the movie when it goes, I thought you would be black. He had no idea who it was. Therefore, made no sense. Now, like I said, they wanted it because they wanted to have that character in there. Fine. But the premise of it still doesn't make sense. Also, with some of these things, like I've seen some like a lot of theories about stuff. And some of the stuff was that, you know, Electro, like the whole idea to to make up for the fact that Electro doesn't know who he is. And all this stuff, they were like, well, maybe they fought again after those movies. And it's just, you know, referencing back to something you haven't seen before. But then, A, like I said, there's an obvious line in the movie that dictates he doesn't know who it is. And two, Electro also says that he was about to die at the end of that movie when he was put in the power grid. He even says, oh, I was going to die. So that makes no sense. Mm. You know? And I get the whole idea of wanting to cure these people before you send them back because, you know, they were going to die at the hands of Spider-Man or whatever. Except some of them weren't. Like, I don't know, Sandman wasn't going to die. Because this is obviously Spider-Man 3 Sandman. He wasn't going to die. They left on good terms. He went and floated off into the sunset. But then on top of that, too, there are major ramifications about sending them back and not dying. Curing the Green Goblin and sending Mm. him back to where he doesn't die kind of actually ruins the rest of the Spider-Man movies in the Tobey Maguire universe. You could argue Doc Ock would never be a thing uh, if Green Goblin doesn't die. Because then Harry wouldn't inherit the money. And Harry wouldn't have funded his research and all this other stuff. Mm. Therefore, there would have not been a Dr. Octopus. This would actually drastically change timelines in these other universes, which would have major ramifications, which is something that they didn't want to do in uh, Endgame because they wanted to return the fucking stones to the same time they took them. But you're introducing this, that aspect of it into these alternate universes. But they're okay with it. There are major ramifications for changing timelines like that. And that's exactly what they just did to all these people and all these timelines. Also, it matters when they take them. Because say they took Sandman while he's flying around as a sand air thing. And they just send him back. Now he's just Flint Marco not being a sand guy in the middle of the fucking air and falls down and dies. Dies anyway. (laughs) There's lots of things that this changes. You know? There are lots of ramifications for not sending people back the, you know, the way they're supposed to be. And I would argue that that's vastly more important 
than trying to cure everybody. Now, also, the scene with trying to cure everybody. Why would you move five villains to an apartment building instead of, I don't know, taking the one replicator to the wizard dungeon? Infinitely easier to do and also way safer. Why would you go that way? Why would you take five known supervillains who have distinctly said they wanted to kill you or something like that, with the exception of Sandman, because he's useless? And then to just you take them out in the public? What the fuck kind of sense does that make? And I, you know, you can argue, oh, well, it's Spider Man. He's, you know, kid logic, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No. It makes no sense in any fucking world that you do that. You would bring the thing that you could easily move. And also, you don't want them to know where you live. <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. I mean, you could argue that he was just going to cure them and send them on their merry way so they wouldn't matter if they knew. But, you know, you'd move it the other way. You would move the replicator to there. You wouldn't move them to the apartment. Makes no damn sense. Also, what's the deal with the scene with, you know, when they inject the goblin? What what did that even do? Nothing. There's no point in that scene. Now, I know part of it was meant to be that it wasn't meant to do anything. But then I'll argue that's a waste of opportunity. How much cooler would it have been if it turns out that whole time whenever he was like, oh, I'm making a cure, blah, blah, blah. He was making a better goblin serum. And so when they injected that into him, thinking it's going to cure him and save the day, if it mutated him further, you know, because he went maskless goblin for most of the movie and stuff, how cool would it have been if his skin had turned green? His ears got a little pointy. Started to look more like a goblin man. Because he got injected with goblin serum 2.0. I and like I said, it's not necessarily a flaw in the movie. I said it's a missed opportunity because I think that that would have been just a delightful fucking thing, and actually made more sense because they injected it with something and it did nothing. What what was he making then? Water? Like it, it, somebody would have noticed he's just making water. It just should have done something. I'm not saying it should have been the cure. I said it just should have done something, and it didn't. And that was dumb. Uh, going back to what you were talking about, Heather, I think that that's, uh, there is also major implications that are unanswered with some of the stuff that I think that they just didn't care about when they wrote this movie. The spell he did dictates that no one knows who Peter Parker is. And that would have to work on the other universes If they're coming to this universe because they know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Otherwise, it wouldn't have affected them. And they would have still came through. So it would have had to affect the other universes to fix the problem that they directly stated was the problem in the movie. Therefore, that means Tobey Maguire would go back to his universe and Mary Jane wouldn't know who the fuck he is. I'm just saying. That's also a weird issue that this movie fucking makes up. Like, I understand that a lot of these things are very easy to overlook if you're just looking for some fun Spider-Man shit. And the fan service works on you, but it doesn't work on me. 
Because, Justin, I, I, I got to be honest with you, Justin. Who are these people you know that don't like the first few Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies? I thought I was the only one of those people that existed. Unless you were just vaguely talking about me, then that's fair. But who are these other people? Because I've never met them. I felt like I was alone in this world as being the only person that did not like the first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man. No, I've heard it before just from people online and just different when people are having arguments about who the best Spider-Man is and stuff like that. Sometimes that's what they do. They say, well, those movies are garbage and this is why I like Andrew Garfield better or Tom Holland better or any of those things. So. I mean, that's fair, I guess. I just I've never heard anybody say that out loud other than when I hear my own voice say it. And I get that. And I get your point, Justin, that they're like, you're like, they're very much like the comics. And I agree with that. With the exception of that, Toby Maguire is a plank of wood with his acting ability. Just a plank of wood that you could draw a struggling face on or draw, draw like a miscellaneous sad face on and just put a bunch of eye drops in his eyes. Cause that's all that motherfucker ever did to me. <laughs> He just was, he's just terrible to me. And I do think he was better in this movie, though. I, I, I do agree with you guys on that. I think they took that piece of wood and they carved a semi-realistic human puppet out of it and then did the same thing. <laughs> uh, and that's why I, I have gravitated towards Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man movies, because I liked him better as a fucking actor. I felt like he was a human and not a yeah. slab of wood recently cut from a tree. And so I did appreciate that until they did Amazing Spider-Man 2 and they just went, hey, fuck everything. <laughs> and I, I and I do feel like this runs in this movie runs into the same issues that a Sinister Six movie would have. I think technically this should be the Fearsome Five or something like that. Or the Frightful Five. I don't remember what the Spider-Man 5 team is. Because what who who were the original Sinister Six? It's it is Electro, it is Lizard, it is Doc Ock, and then I want to say it's Vulture, Craven, and Mysterio. I think yeah. they're technically the original six, or maybe Rhino was one of them. I don't know. There's been yeah. 90 billion incarnations of the Sinister Six. Yeah, there's been so many incarnations, and then there was like a Sinister Syndicate, and yeah, oh yeah, there was, wasn't there? Oh man. And that's, I mean, that's neither here nor there. I'm just, that's just when you brought that up earlier, I just started thinking in my head who was supposed to be the original. Um, and I think that this movie kind of ran into the same problem of now I, they did do it the smart way. They brought in all the villains all have a backstory that's previously explained in another movie. So that is the smart way of bringing in multiple villains at once. Because then you just have to expand upon their character arcs, not cram it all into one movie. So they did get that part of it right. My problem was you still don't have enough interesting ones to do anything real with most of them. Like I said, Sandman and Lizard could have fucked off for this whole movie. I feel like it would have been better if they weren't there. You know, that's where I do think that the, the, the door swings back the other way. Is while they did do it right in one aspect, they still failed to actually have anything worthwhile for all the villains to do something with. You know, 
I, I hated the fact that they fucking crippled Doc Ock for 97% of this movie that he's in. He's just nothing for so much of the movie. You get a really cool scene with him, and then you get a bunch of nothing. You just get him talking. That's it for so long of the movie. And I felt like that was a waste. I felt like we should have gotten a little bit more from that. Because I think that some of the more interesting fights that they've ever done in Spider-Man movies have been his fights with Doc Ock, including Into the Spider-Verse, because I really loved those fight scenes with Doc Ock in those movies too, in that movie too. They're utterly fantastic. It's one of the few things I like about the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans are the fight scenes with Doc Ock. They're interesting as fuck. Now, I do like that they mimicked the Green Goblin fight sequence from the first Spider-Man in this. Where a Doc Ock fight in Spider-Man, it's, it's, it's very much a dance. It's very finesse. It's about agility and, 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 and multi-pointed like points of attack and all this other stuff. But when he fights Green Goblin in the movies, it's just raw brutality. Like when he actually gets into a hand-to-hand fight with Green Goblin. Raw brutality. And so I liked the fact that they did that in this movie too. That it's not a game of wits. It's not this and that. It's just rawness when they fight. I do not know why I said rawness like that. That was very weird. But somehow (laughs) that came out of my mouth. So I appreciated that aspect of it. But I still feel like it was kind of cheap in the end with a lot of that. I mean, I get that in the context of the movie, Tom Holland's Spider-Man was supposed to believe that Norman was not crazy at those moments and stuff. But was any fan honestly surprised by that? And I just say that because it just made the the scenes where they're like, oh, let's cure him, feel just a little dumb. Because we know, the directors know we know, the writers know we know, everyone knows we know, but they still felt the need to make us go through the motions in the movie? That was just very blah to me. I feel like the Doctor Strange stuff, I'm... I kind of weirdly straddled the fence with how well they used Doctor Strange because at times I really liked it. But I also don't like the way they nerfed him for the whole movie. I understand why they had to. I just don't appreciate how they did. I think it would have been more important if he was like, if you just send him off to be like, I have to go find this amulet or something. That's the only way we're going to be able to fix this. And have him fuck off for the whole movie getting the amulet. That's fine. I just don't like... He got tied up in some web for like 97 days or however fucking long it was. I don't know. But at the same time, I I kind of dug how Spider-Man was able to outsmart him in the Mirror Universe. I thought that that was actually yeah, kind of cool. cool. Where yeah. to Doctor Strange it was magic, to him it was geometry. I th- that was yeah. that was that was cool. 
that was a genuinely smart moment. You know? That Yeah. And what was cool and also what was cool about that just before that scene, whenever Doctor Strange had like zapped his soul or consciousness or whatever from his body. But his spider sense was still reacting. So whenever um, Strange was trying to grab the box from Peter's hand, his body was still dodging him because of spider sense. I thought that was so freaking yeah. cool. Well, that was so raw. Like I, I just really liked some of those intricate things that they did with those scenes. Well, that's also a reference to an actual spider. You know, you can cut off a spider's leg and it'll still try to crawl. The the leg will by itself. So it's it's that uh. it's it's essentially like the inert like you said the spider sense, but it's also the inert instinct that's just built into spiders. And that's why I liked it is that's also a reference back to a spider, like authentically. You know what I mean? That spiders nerve endings also have instincts, if you will, or neural pathways like that. And so that's why I appreciated that is it's that's accurate to spiders, you know, that. You know, there are aspects of spiders that you can cut it off and it'll still act like it's there. And so it's the same type of thing. You could quote unquote cut off his spirit or soul or however you want to word that or, you know, and it will still react like it was there. And I appreciated that on that aspect. But it it just really kind of reminded me back to one of the core principles of one of the smart ways the MCU has blended some of the things. When you go back to the first Thor movie, you know, when he's talking to Jane Foster, it's like, you know, what you call technology, we call magic or whatever the fuck that line was, or, you know, that aspect that they were still kind of applying that principle to the mirror universe, what sorcerers know it as the mirror universe to a mathematician or somebody who's just smart math. It's a geometric universe, just, you know, that type of thing. I thought that that tie into the MCU was handled very nicely. At least it felt like a callback to a principle of the MCU that I still appreciated that behind all magic, there's an element of science or vice versa behind all sciences. Like, you know what I mean? That they are kind mm-hmm. of interswappable depending on how far up or down you go. So I did appreciate that too. Um, and, but as, as far as we get into some of these performances and stuff like that, I, I, I'm not going to lie, even though I don't like Tobey Maguire and I, I thought it was just all this other stuff. The dynamics they all had together was a delight. It really was. The way they had banter with each other, the, you know, those aspects of it were done genuinely well. And it was honestly the first time I've genuinely thought that, oh, maybe Tobey Maguire can play Spider-Man at the age of 40. Like that's the first time I've really felt that way that he actually uh, could do a good job, but it's also I'm like uh, that's like twenty years too late. But no, those were some genuinely fun scenes. I I do agree that that little mini story arc of Andrew Garfield Spider Man 
getting redemption by saving Mary Jane. That was a good scene. It was. You know, I thought it was kind of funny when they're all sitting around and they're talking about their troubles and stuff like that. When, you know, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man's like, yeah, Uncle Ben died. And then Andrew Garfield goes, yeah, Gwen Stacy died. I'm like, man, Andrew Garfield, you really just said, fuck Uncle Ben. Gwen Stacy's the one that mattered. I I actually thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. You know, more fresh. (laughs) Yeah, I get, I I guess. But then see, that's my other problem with this movie. Is as much as they like have some lines of dialogue to imply that they've still been Spider-Manning after their last movies. They also did a lot to imply that they didn't. You know, like that was kind of weird. And I also think that another problem I have with this movie is that it. It. Had a hard time genuinely moving the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe forward to some degree because. Everything in this movie, villain-wise and all this other stuff, is strictly from other universes. There's nothing in this universe or that stays in this universe as a villain from this movie. But you get some ramifications from it. Like, I think it'd be more interesting if this Green Goblin stayed in this universe or something, because then it's like... He has that reason to almost worry that those feelings he had when he almost killed the Green Goblin might come back. You know, there'd be something like that to be an ongoing theme or something like that, but there's not. Because all the threats from this movie are gone and you just get some of the effects. Also, then some of them don't make sense. Well, that depends also on what they do with the Venom symbiote, because the Venom symbiote is there now. So no, and, depending and that's on fair. That's the fair. direction they go with that, you know, that that could wind up being a new villain, and, you and, know, or whatever they uh, decide to do with that. That's true. But he wasn't a threat in this movie, though. I get what you're saying. That's just not what I mean. And if I if I didn't explain that properly, that's on me. Uh, I'm just talking about like a threat he genuinely experienced in this movie. You know what I mean? That aspect of it. Um, But you are right that Venom could be a factor from this movie later. But like some of the stuff still didn't make any sense to me with, you know, Happy Hogan at the end when he's like, oh, how'd you know her? Oh, from Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, me too. I get what they were trying to do there. But like. And it doesn't really work. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I also why I don't understand what you mean by that. Because based on what they did with this, Aunt May would have nothing to do with Spider Man without knowing who Peter Parker is. So why would they have met? You mean? Yeah. Like why would Happy say I knew her from Spider Man? He could have said, like, from her nephew or something. 
Well, no, not even. Well, you wouldn't have said nephew because he doesn't know that he doesn't. Happy doesn't know that. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm just saying there's no reason. Without knowing who Peter Parker is, would Aunt May or Spider-Man and and Peter Parker. There's no reason for Spider-Man to interact with Aunt May. Without knowing that it's Peter Parker. And that part of it is erased. I know she's dead, but it's also erased. Like, well, the Peter Parker part is erased, but remember, they had media interactions and stuff like that, too. Like, when, but like I'm saying the they wouldn't have movie, happened. They uh, wouldn't have happened without knowing home. Peter Parker, though. Like, if Aunt May didn't know Spider-Man was. Was, was her nephew. They wouldn't have had those. They all happen because it's it's her it's her nephew, and she knows he's Spider Man. So she wouldn't have been in the same. But you're world talking about happy, right? Happy. But you're talking yes. about happy, right? And that's my point: is why would Happy and her interact without knowing that Peter Parker is Spider Man? He was the connection between the two. So why would they have met otherwise? He wouldn't have. He wouldn't have crossed his lives like that. If he was like, Happy doesn't know I'm Spider-Man, Aunt May doesn't know I'm Spider-Man, they would not meet without knowing he's Spider-Man. Like, why would, as as Spider-Man, as Spider-Man, why would, if they both didn't know his secret identity, right? They just know that's Spider-Man and Aunt May thinks there's a Peter Parker, you know, he's at school, but that's Spider-Man. Why would Spider-Man take Happy around Aunt May? Like, I, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have met because you could argue that he could still be an Avenger without Happy knowing who he is. That's fair. But Spider-Man wouldn't go around being around Aunt May as Spider-Man because, you know, he still sounds like fucking Peter Parker. He doesn't Batman that shit. She would know instantly that that is him. So, like, Spider-Man would have never taken Happy Hogan around Aunt May for them to meet each other. Without both knowing that he's Spider-Man as Peter Parker. I think I kind of see what you're saying. I guess I just interpreted what happened with the spell differently. If it's wiped, if Peter Parker is wiped from the memory, I didn't look at it as all of a sudden, all of your memories suddenly have to be altered and everything like that. I just think that part, the Peter Parker part is wiped. So I think he's still has some memories of like being with May, the interactions with May and stuff like that. But the part that's blocked is the Peter Parker part. No, so no, you're, you're right. You are like, right. No, you are absolutely right on that. And so I, I'm not thinking that it was that complex. Like it's changing all these events in their heads and all this kind of stuff. 
I, I just think what's blocked is the Peter Parker part. But he remembers, but you know, he remembers them dating. He remembers that 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 the all he can remember is the association with Spider-Man. I know it had something to do with that. I know we were dating and stuff like that. But what's gonna be blocked is just that Peter Parker portion. So he can't recall that because of magic. But I don't think it's altering his entire memories, you know, not to that degree. You know well, what I'm saying? And maybe that's just not how I took it, you know, and that's fair. That's fair. Um, Because to me, it couldn't be as simple as you just can't recall Peter Parker. Like. That would mean that they would just lose entire chunks completely. But I think it can be that simple because it's fucking magic. Like, who's to say what it can and cannot be? But but I'm saying, but they would. It's magic. I'm saying it would have to alter memories, though, you know, because. And I get that. Oh, go ahead. Well, Sorry. I'm just saying, like, let's just say, like, for argument's sake, Mary Jane and and Peter Parker had gone to prom together. Okay. And they, you know, danced at prom, they kissed at prom, you know, they they were at prom together, they took prom pictures, all that shit. If you erase Peter Parker from the memory, you would have to fill in the gap of prom, or she then just wouldn't remember prom. Does that make sense to me? Like, to me, that's what it would do. And I kind of had a similar thought, which was, um, I forgot to say this earlier, was kind of the same situation with like Mary Jane and, and Ned or MJ and Ned, um, because right before, you know, everybody forgets who he is, the two of them are still there where everybody had the fighting and whatever by the Statue of Liberty. Like, my question was like, when their memory was erased, like, why, why did they think they were there? <laughs> like, did they remember, like, what was their... Did they wake up and be like, why am I here right now? Because, like, if they didn't remember him, why would they have been there? You know what I mean? So I kind of had a similar question, but for that aspect, and, and also the happy one, that makes sense, too. But I had a similar question about that with MJ and Ned, like, when they forgot who he was, what was their memory of, like, why they were there in the first place? No, that's very true, too. Because if you wipe Peter Parker from the memory, why else would they think they're there? You would have to fill in some sort of gap or just everybody that's come across Peter Parker just has holes in their memory. Is it that they just can't recall those memories or do they just not even think about recalling those memories? That does get very muddy and I don't think they're really going to address that later. Because to them, it's it's a reset. Unless it becomes something like Happy knows a different Spider-Man or there's a different person who everyone thinks is Spider-Man because Peter Parker never existed as Spider-Man. Well, they've done know. this. They've done this several times in the comics with Spider-Man and other heroes. You know. And I mean, it's it's done differently a little bit each time. You know, I mean, because I'm reading the current run of Daredevil. And Daredevil's done that a couple of times to the world. This last time he did it with the help of the Purple Kids, which if anybody knows the Netflix series, 
uh, with Jessica Jones, the purple man. In the in the Marvel Universe, he also has kids. And when they're like all together, they're even more powerful than him. And uh, with their help, like the whole world knows that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. And with their help, he wipes everybody's memories. And like it causes some weird, really weird dynamics with some of the stuff, because at one point he's fighting with Electra. Or training with Electra, I should say, and Electra remembers that she dated Matt Murdock in college, but then also remembers that she fucked around with Daredevil, but doesn't realize they're the same people at this point. And it does get kind of muddy at times, but and like I said, they've done this a couple of times with Spider-Man. You know, they did that. This this book really, or this movie, takes a lot from the story of One More Day in Spider-Man, which takes place after Civil War in the comics, where Spider-Man goes on the news with Tony Stark and he tells everybody, he tells the whole world he's Peter Parker, and then they have a falling out, and then who is it? I don't know, somebody puts Aunt May in the hospital and she's going to die and so they make a deal with Mephisto to get rid of the world knowing who he is but in doing so it also cost them, them their relationship. And so they were no longer married, but then they also did the shit where they're destined to be together. So then they, she ends up remembering him, you know, because as much as Stanley was kind of against it, the, a lot of readers and a lot of writers kind of like the Lois Lane and Clark Kent aspect of Peter Parker and Mary Jane. So, yeah, that's that whole thing. But I mean, it's just like you have to justify like Mary Jane and Ned being friends. Cuz in the other movies they weren't without Peter Parker. He was the glue that made them friends. So now when they think about their friendship, do they just not remember a lot of it or do they remember something else? And I need that explained to me. I don't think we're going to get it because, like I said, it's very obvious that Sony and the MCU was kind of counting this as a reset. So that they. I mean, I just don't know how necessary that is. I mean, to me, it just makes sense that he would be blocked. So that's why they're still friends. That's why the world is still aware that there's a Spider-Man. You know, they, they know that a Spider-Man exists. They know things happen. They could even have remembered that, oh, Spider-Man saved us. They just wouldn't remember the Peter Parker aspect of that. You know, they just would not be aware that that's who that is. And so that's why they would still be friends. They would still be talking about getting into MIT and everything like that. It, it makes more sense to me that the magic would just be blocking that portion of it. So even if they remember a third person being there or they remember a third party, that magic would just kick in and it just would not allow them to remember that. And then I think that just naturally you you either try to fill in the holes or you just can't. And it's just that magic you know, inhibitor thing, you know, it's, it's just, it just kicks in and will not let you remember that he was there. So 
I don't know. I, I think I'm good with that. I don't think I, it needs to get, I don't think it needs to be any more intricate than that. I just think the magic will block them from uh, Peter Parker, but they would still retain. It just makes sense to me that you would still retain some of those feelings, some of those memories and friendships and stuff like that. It's just that that portion that involved him would be altered so that you could not recall all of that, you well, know? But like I'm saying though, like, all right, say they went to prom together and there's prom pictures of them. Is Peter just no longer in the picture? Or does the picture like, does it change? Because if like Mary Jane is standing there with Peter Parker, like in a picture, and in a position that would require there to be a second person, is there now a different person there? Or do they just view the picture differently? And is it like a different pose now? Like those things, like I understand that they might not ultimately be something that genuinely matters or anything like that. But I just find it a little hard to just go, well, it's magic. Who cares? Like, well, I'm not saying that either. I mean, I'm just saying, look, I think that maybe this is a better way of explaining it. Whatever the magic needs to do to cause them to forget Peter Parker, that's what the successful magic is going to do, right? Because it's a spell. So whatever it needs to happen within that person's mind and experiences for them to forget Peter Parker it would have to be within the realm of that magic. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with when everybody got snapped back. What did Iron Man tell Hulk? He said, bring everybody back safely. And Hulk said, okay. So that's why like all these theories that what if people came back and fell out of planes and stuff like that is dumb because the magic would have brought everybody back safely. So you can't assume that something would happen or you have to assume that the magic did what it was supposed to do. You know what I mean? So whatever that needs to be in your mind, in my opinion, that's what the magic did because it's, and that's what I mean by it's magic. It's going to do whatever is necessary for these people to not remember Peter Parker, whatever that is. So if a picture needs to change, great. If they need to forget about prom, great. If something needs to happen, that the magic would have done what it needed to do to successfully make them forget about Peter Parker is what I'm trying to say. And I get that aspect of it, but I'm saying that that could be just very intensive with a lot of things. I mean, like, okay. say, like say Mary Jane had that fucking prom dress in her closet, but now she no longer remembers prom because of Peter Parker. Let's just go based on what you were saying. It needed to erase the whole memory of prom because Peter Parker was in all of it. Okay. Then that happens. So it erases memory of prom. But then what does it do with the dress? Does it, does it then erase the physical dress itself or not? Like those aspects of it, it gets to me more complicated than I think anybody was actually thinking when they did this. And I don't like magic. It's just magic as a catch-all with some of that stuff. And I think that, that there's even more implications with it because in the, in the, the, the end of the movie, we see him moving into an apartment and he's got a GED book and all this other stuff. And that would be because nobody would remember that he goes to that school because nobody remembers him. 
But then at the same time, does that mean he has still documentation? Does that mean that he has any ID saying he's Peter Parker? Does he have access to birth records and all this other stuff? Would Or would all records of Peter Parker have been erased? And if that's the case, then how could he get an apartment? Because you couldn't even provide ID or even a bank account or anything like that. You wouldn't have access to any of that. So you couldn't be able to get a job or anything. You would have to, you would then have to have a new identity, you know, and all these other things. I think that there are more implications that can last on past some of the stuff with all this. Now, the only way I'll accept this is if in Spider-Man 4, it turns out he's not using the name Peter Parker. He's using the name like Ben Riley. I'd actually accept that at the end, at that point. I just think that would be a nice little callback. But outside of that, I think that there are a lot more implications that this movie, I think, just kind of wants to skirt past because it didn't think any further than just, let's say this is the explanation. Well, it's not going to. Well, it would have taken another two hours to have all of that, though. Why not? You could explore some of those things in another film. You could then we could maybe further understand what the parameters are, you know, and there's also a possibility that none of that has anything to do with anybody remembering Peter Parker. If the spell was just specifically people not remembering him there, then it's not beyond the realm of possibility. He could still have an ID. He could still be who he is. He could still um, he went up. He walked up to MJ and said, I'm Peter Parker. So now she knows that he's Peter Parker. She just doesn't remember who. So obviously he's still Peter Parker. You know, like he went up and told her his name. She just didn't remember anything about him. So he could still have an ID. He could still. I don't think it's that complex. But then why wouldn't he still go to school? What what? I don't know what that has to do with the memory. I don't know what his ID has to do with people remembering him. He could still have an ID. But my, my point is, then why wouldn't he just go to school then? You know, I mean, it'd be kind of weird if nobody remembers Peter Parker, but he's got a fucking high school transcript. But nobody remembers he exists. But he could still go down to his fucking school and go, yeah, I need my transcript for the last three years. That's my point with it, though. I see. I I see what you're saying with that. But I mean, he's smart enough to. if, If if it if it has to be explained, he's smart enough to have some documents made or something. I mean, it's Peter Parker. You know, he could. I'm, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he could have mustered up or was smart enough to do some things to where he could have gotten himself a fresh start. I mean, I think he's smart enough to do that. If he's smart enough to make a serum to help somebody or remake Dr. Octopus's chip from another universe, I think you'll be okay kind of getting some documents together and stuff like that. That and he wasn't he, do that. he wasn't smart enough to not take five villains back to his house. Well, that's <laughs> definitely one that's an interesting point, but I mean, the whole point though was that 
if I don't help you, th- this is what I th- interpreted his thought process as. If I don't help you, some of you are g- just going to go back to your universe and die. So you can either cooperate with this or you or you're going to have to go back to your universe and die. And he did have a contingency plan. I don't like the idea that he just, oh, he just blindly trusted all these people and did all of this stuff without thinking. That's a gross misrepresentation of this movie. What was the fail safe? He gave MJ and Ned the box, right? And he said, if this, if anything happens, if this, if I'm not, if you don't hear from me in a certain period of time, if something goes awry, press this and send everybody back. So he thought he had a plan. He had a fail safe. He went about trying to do this plan, do the right thing, which was trying to cure these heroes. So, you know, I didn't see it the way y'all saw it, but, yeah, but you know, it's it, all good. His fail safe was pointless because they still didn't follow it. <laughs> like they didn't know what the fuck happened. All they knew is like they saw Aunt May died and all this other stuff. So in the end, his fail safe was pointless, too. It was obviously going to be pointless. No, I don't see it that way either, because when they when MJ just before they got uh, the Garfield and the Toby Spider-Man's back, she was sitting there and she was like, I haven't heard from him yet. And she was like, I know he told us to wait to a certain period of time, but I'm going to press it. You know, I'm going to press it. He told us to wait, but I'm going to press it. So they were getting impatient, you know. It wasn't that it didn't work or anything like that. They were getting impatient. And then that's when Ned kind of discovered, you know, and tried to let me see Peter and all that stuff happen. They were impatient, but he did have a plan. And, And the box was very important. That's what the villains were there. That's why they came. They were all trying to get that so that they could control whether they go back or not or prevent some wanted it. You know, Sandman wanted it to get back home, but some of them were trying to destroy it. So they wouldn't have to go back home like Electro and Green Goblin and stuff like that. You know, no, that's true. I mean, nobody was saying, made sense to me. Nobody, I said mean, the, I don't, I don't, nobody said the box wasn't important. I'm saying, though, that they said, yeah, you've got this amount of time to you know, send it back. Yeah, she got impatient, but then, but then she didn't. Like, then they meet the other two Spider Men and all this other stuff. For all they know, Tom Holland was dead, and these villains could have been out killing more people, and they still were hesitant to do anything. I have a question. Um. So, because I I get what Jastin is saying, too, about the, I had to cough. Um, So, I get what Jastin is saying about, like, the magic just works how it needs to for them to forget who Peter was. I'm curious if that means that Ned, though, forgot that he knows how to do magic. I mean, it, it depends. That's a good question. It, well, it depends on how you, you know look I mean? at it. If you look at it how I look at it, I don't think you would. But I kind of think if you look at it the way Jastin looks at it, he would just know that he got a, a ring. Like, he already kind of thought that he was magic because it rained in their family. 
based on what he said, you know, the gift ran in their family. Yeah. And so, I mean, and to do the stuff he 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 did, you need the little ring thingy. And he no longer had that anyway at the end of the movie anyway. Doctor Strange had taken it back. You know? Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he would have no way to even practice said magic or to do it again after that movie That's anyway. True. But I get what you're saying, though. Like, there was one weird thing that I saw, like, when you, Justin, you asked people what they thought about this movie. And some people brought up it was ridiculous that Ned could use magic that fast. And that blew my mind a little bit because that actually made complete sense to me. Like, <laughs> hey, he, I was like, did you watch the Doctor Strange movie? Exactly. <laughs> Doctor like, Strange had a hard time doing it because he was skeptical and mm-hmm. and he was afraid because of everything else. And then on top of that, he didn't think he physically could do it because his hand was damaged. Exactly. Like there were so many reasons why he couldn't do it, even though they've implied he has the natural ability to do it. It was all the other limitations he had that Ned doesn't have at all. Ned, in fact, even says, I think I'm magic. He just already (laughs) thinks he is. Yeah, he totally accepted it. What his grandmother and his family said and everything like that. And look at Ned. He's a very optimistic, like, free-thinking kind of person. You know what I mean? Like, Well, also, on top of that, like, you would argue, some people would argue that maybe if you're that smart and all this stuff, you would doubt the existence of magic. Except in this universe, they've already said magic's real. Like, a lot of people know it. Therefore... It's just accepted, even if you're a genius, that magic exists because you've seen people use it. So even being smart, you would know magic's a possibility. So therefore, it would make even more sense that he would think he could do it. Because somebody who's as smart as he is might be like, well, my grand, you know, my grandma says it, but, you know, crazy grandma. But now that like magic's just an accepted part of their reality, he's like. Fuck yeah, grandma, we're magic. (laughs) Like that was one of the scenes that. Oh, yeah, it just it just clicked. Like I had no problems with that. I have a lot of problems with this movie. Zero problem with that, though. Like I said, that made complete (laughs) sense. Yeah, and I guess this whole like the magic that Doctor Strange does, it would have had to have changed like, I don't know, a little bit of a timeline or something. It had to have changed. It had to have changed memories because by, you know, obviously all of them got that, those rejection letters from MIT. But by the end of the movie, Ned and MJ both had been accepted to MIT. So it was like complete, like memory gone of the fact that they didn't get in in the first place. But like, it, it was almost like, well, this that's was true. The first time that they were getting acceptance in there. And it was, yeah. So I guess memories had to have been erased their history had to have been erased in a sense that's very true very true yeah. mm-hmm. see just, which then i mean essentially just whatever it took you know and, and, to, and like i said i do, that's too neat of a like i get what you're saying justin that it would also be another two hours to explain all this stuff i think there could have been a way to do it 
in the movie, like with, you know, when he's like, well, Dr. Strange, if we do this, you know, would that fix the problem? And Dr. Strange just goes, yeah, and then does it. I think there would have been, you could have added a couple of lines of like him just going, well, Peter, if we do this, it's this, this, and this. And then Peter could be like, that's fine. Like, you know, I think you could have done a little bit with it. Like he's like, yeah, because that's a monumental change. If it's also changing timelines and all this other stuff, I think that that means there has to be more implications. And maybe that is something that that part of it is something that's addressed in like a later movie or something. Because, yeah, I would accept that. I don't think well, I almost guarantee it will be because if because in the preview for the multiverse of madness, when whatever that vo- that ominous voice was that was cutting a promo on Doctor Strange, he was talking about what happened in Spider-Man. He was like, you know, you altered, you know, you altered these timelines and all these dimensions like there was a, there this ominous this voice that was speaking was talking to him about what he had done and it replaced the voiceover of exactly what he was saying to Peter about, you know, the limitations to the multiverse or whatever, you know, is beyond essentially he said something like the knowledge that we have of the multiverse is, you know, is beyond is so vast it's beyond anything we could comprehend something to that effect well, if I, if yeah, we know frighteningly little yeah well, we know okay, the multiverse yes, is yes. frighteningly little perfect yes frighteningly little yes that was the line and it's playing that you can hear that voiceover as this ominous voice is saying you you know you ruined everything you you broke these timelines and all this stuff so i think we're going to see direct repercussions you know, oh yeah, and that's and I this. am. We might, and I in, am curious. Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say I, I'm curious too, just how the whole thing affected Doctor Strange because with his ability and the fact that he's the one who cast the spell, it sounded like he was also erasing his own memory of of Spider Man. But it, I also just wonder, like, would he remember that he did that spell, or does he have a way to like? be the one who doesn't have to forget him. Like, I don't know. It just, it makes me curious because he also sees so many different timelines and things like that, that I'm like, what does this mean for Dr. Strange? If he forgets Spider-Man, can he actually forget Spider-Man? You know what I mean? Well, he did. He would have forgotten Spider-Man because he even said so that he was going to also forget Spider-Man. But and that's an interesting point though, Heather, that is he going to remember that he performed a spell to, erase that part of the memory for that to be an issue in multiverse of madness. I to, honestly, I don't think that, that line when that person's talking in the, the trailer for multiverse of madness, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe that's Baron Mordo that's talking. Uh, because you know, Mordo having the issues with him, even using the time stone from the first movie. Um, but I think that they're referring to actually what they did in uh, uh, Avengers Endgame is what I thought that they were referencing with that, because I don't think that they consider what he did in this movie messing with the multiverse because he didn't really mess with the multiverse in this movie because he didn't ultimately 
what he does doesn't change the multiverse itself, but what they did in Endgame does. That's why I thought that he was referencing Endgame. And that, you know, allowing for that to happen, you know, because I think either way, Mordo, I mean, even though Doctor Strange was not one of the people that went and did anything with those stones or any of that stuff, Mordo is going to blame Strange regardless. Because that's how Mordo looks at Strange with magic because of the events from the first Doctor Strange movie. So that's how I interpreted that. But I mean, we'll find out in a few months what they meant by that exactly. I mean, that's the good thing about that. But when I was talking about repercussions from that spell and stuff, I meant directly for Spider-Man. And I don't think that you'll get those answers in Multiverse of Madness. You know, I don't think you'll get the repercussions for Spider-Man himself in Multiverse of Madness with that stuff and how that would have changed stuff. But, I mean, I guess to be fair to it, I mean, we will have to wait and see at least until Doctor Strange 2. When Doctor Strange 2 comes out, you know, I think we'll get a better idea of what they mean by some of that stuff. Because I don't think if any of this Spider-Man stuff is addressed in it, I don't think they're going to address it in the movies. Because I think the whole point of this is they wanted... I think when Sony agreed to do this movie with the way they did it, I think they did it on the caveat of they wanted to bring Spider-Man back down and not have him be, you know, Iron Man 2.0 or anything like that in the MCU. Because as much as everybody was like throw up in arms about after the second Spider-Man movie, when the deal, whether or not the deal would happen and whether or not they would end up doing any more movies together, all this other stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Spider-Man 4 is the last movie on that contract, the new contract. Which is really weird that they constantly only do two movie deals. When they even talk about it as this being a trilogy and, you know, Spider-Man 4, 5, and 6 will be a trilogy within itself and stuff like that. Why are they doing another movie together then to have the next two possibly not be in the MCU? Sony and Marvel are very weird companies. Like I said, constantly making two movie deals. So that's another thing we have to also think about with some of the stuff is I think they did this to strip Spider-Man back down to be more of a street level hero. Because it opens it up in the future for Sony to pull Spider-Man from the MCU and then throw him in with Jason's favorite Tom Hardy Venom and our possible future favorite vampire in Morbius. And, you know. Craven, because they're doing a Craven movie. Because, you know, everybody wanted a solo Craven movie. So. And Morbius. Yeah, I said Morbius. No, I'm just saying, yeah, everybody was waiting for a Morbius movie. Oh, yeah, that too. Obviously, they're not, yeah. I think Sony really is positioning some, themselves to bring him back down. So that they could uh, pull him into their universe. As tragic as that would be. So. Yeah, very well could be. Because I still, I mean, I know, I know the movie hasn't come out yet. 
But the Morbius movie is making less and less sense every day that passes. Because he references Venom in that movie. Like, he directly references Venom. The movie itself references Venom outside of that. When they talk about, like, yeah, we haven't seen anything like this since that, you know, that black alien thing in in San Francisco, which is a reference to Venom. But then you have Michael Keaton's Vulture in it. And then you have a Spider-Man poster or painting on a wall that says murderer, which would be which would be referencing Mysterio's death from Spider-Man 2. But then they're also, like I said, referencing Venom. What the fuck is that movie? I already know. It's going to make no sense. And then they also kind of alluded to Blade in the Eternals. So um, so there is a scenario where you could essentially have a lot of those, these characters interacting. Um, I never read any of the comics where Blade and Morbius and Spider-Man were all in it having an adventure and stuff like venom and all that was in it. But I do remember the, the 1994 cartoon the animated series. Yeah. Yeah. And I do. Re- and I remember that being a lot of fun. I remember Morbius coming in and he was suffering and he, but he had to, but he had the hunger and he had to take plasma from people. And blade was there hunting him because blade had heard about him and was there to kill him. And Spider-Man, you know, good old Spider-Man was kind of caught in the middle going, there's got to be another way. You know, can we possibly save Morbius? Do you have to kill him Blade? So him and Blade were at odds and stuff like that. So, I mean, you could essentially wind up doing something like that. But it was but I remember it being pretty fun in the show. So I never read the comics. So I don't I don't remember I don't know. And it was so long ago when I saw that show. I don't know what the resolution was or what wound up happening or anything like that. But I do remember it being memorable. Like, I remember having a good time with that storyline, you know. Well, it's. If I'm remembering correctly, it's like most things like that where. Spider-Man and Morbius where I think we're fighting blade shows up blades like now nah, I'm going to kill him. And Spider-Man's like, what well, we, we, we can fight him. You can't kill him. He's like, now nah, I'm going to kill him. And he's like, and you know, Morbius gets away and blades going to track him down. But Spider-Man keeps kind of interrupting him, but they're still kind of teaming up together. But then they realize that like they need to team up together to like with Morbius to fight something else. And then afterwards, Morbius was like, okay. Or, I mean, sorry, Blade was like, I guess you're not as bad as the rest of these guys. You're just misunderstood. And then that was it. If I'm remembering correctly. Okay. Yeah, there there was a bigger adversary. And see, I don't even remember who it was. Like, I, I have no idea. I think it was it. another vampire or like a group of vampires. I think I don't remember specifically either. But I do very much remember what you're talking about 
Because they they weirdly made Morbius in the animated series a plasma vampire. Where yeah. he wouldn't kill you. <laughs> he just would put his hands on you and he had these weird sucker things on his hands to suck the plasma yeah. out of you. Because they didn't the want him to be a blood sucker. Yeah. That was their way of censoring. It sure was. I didn't know yep. that at the time, but yeah, that was their way of censoring that. <laughs> because he's not a traditional vampire in the comics. He is, I think they I think they call him a damn fear, where he's like scientifically a vampire. You know? Like he does have to consume fresh blood or blood. And, you know, he's got like bat abilities, but he's not like garlic and silver and stuff like that don't work on him. You know, I don't think sunlight does either. So he doesn't, he's kind of like weirdly like blade. He's pretty much just like blade. Now that I think about it, all the strengths, but none of the weaknesses day Walker. Huh? He really is just like blade, but also to be fair, blade when he originally was in the comics, was not the blade we know and love today. First of all, he was British, which does kind of like, I like the fact that Mahershala Ali is playing him because, you know, they might actually go back to Blade being British. But in the comics, Blade was just a regular man, and his special ability was that if he got bit by a vampire, it couldn't turn him. There was something about him to where he could not turn into a vampire. That's why he was effective against them, because they could not turn him. But that was originally Blade's power set up until the movie. The movie is where they changed it because, you know, that's dumb in a movie. So they changed him to a daywalker in the movie. And they and then Marvel went, oh, fuck, that's way better than our shit. And then they changed Blade. In the comics. So there's a little mini history lesson on Blade for anybody that wanted it. So, also, weird little bit of trivia, Blade has been the Sorcerer Supreme in the Marvel Universe for a little bit. If anybody wanted to know that, too. So, Hmm. yeah. Oddly enough, he was the Sorcerer Supreme to fight Moon Knight when Moon Knight took over the MCU. So, hey, hey. All goes back to my bad boy, Mooney. Um, Anyway, back to all Spider-Man shit. But... uh, I just, I, I think we have all these things that we think with these movies and stuff like that. It's just, I think we also have to be wary of the fact that at any point, Sony could take sole control over this and fuck it all up again. Just write the fuck up again. I mean, I know traditionally speaking, people do typically love the first two Raimi movies. But then you get to the third one, like we referenced earlier, and it's just garbage, just terrible. Um, And then you get to like the Andrew Garfield ones. The first one, people generally like the first one. I'm not saying it's like as beloved as some of the other ones, but it's genuine, like generally okay. But then it's almost universal that everybody hates Amazing Spider-Man 2 because it's a dumb movie. Like, and then if you look at the Venom movies, look at just the trailers for the Morbius movie. Look at the idea they have to do a Craven movie based on a storyline that's very Spider-Man heavy. Because they want to do it as Craven's last hunt. And that's a, well, Spider-Man doesn't directly 
appear in that comic book. Like for a lot of it, he's not directly in it for a lot of it, but it's still very much around him. So it makes no sense to do a movie without there being that being in the Spider-Verse or like in the, the, the MCU technically. Sony's dumb, man. And as much as I have my issues with some of these movies and this one in particular, the only reason why a lot of this movie works is because Kevin Feige and Marvel made it work. If this was a solely Sony movie, it would have been beyond garbage. They would have fucked it all up. Just left and right. I mean, they they canceled the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man franchise. Not because the second movie performed not as well as they thought it would, but because Andrew Garfield inadvertently insulted the head of Sony because they were at a party and Andrew Garfield forgot his name. And because of that, he got pissed off at Andrew Garfield and was like, fuck you, we're canceling Spider-Man now. You know, the great shit. Wow, really? That's the story? That's pretty crazy. (laughs) Isn't that insane, though? (laughs) Like, that's why we didn't get Amazing Spider-Man 3. Not because the second one sucked and barely broke even at the box office. No, no, no. Because of that, that is why. That's why, you know, I can have my problems all I want with this movie. The MCU is the only thing that makes it watchable. Like if Sony was doing all this shit by themselves, fuck these movies would be so goddamn bad. So bad. Uh, Just look at Venom. If you need any... Any more proof? Look at the Venom movies. Ugh. Anyway, I want to talk about one last thing with this movie, and I really think that this will hit home with Justin. One thing I do appreciate about the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, and in particular this one, is, you know, say what you will, like I said, I don't like this one as much as everybody else does, but... I'll be damned if it's still just not a better movie without having Avi Arid producing it. Because that man loves fucking up a Spider-Man movie. (sighs) Like, we've completed the Tom Holland trilogy, and we didn't get one single, you know, New York saves Spider-Man moment in any of these three movies. And you know what? I appreciate that. Because fuck, those are the worst moments in the other other fucking movies. Just fucking terrible. Ugh. <laughs> the New Yorkers. Yeah. Like it, it's 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 really that second one. Like the the when I went back and watched them, the first one, it doesn't bother me so much. You know, they just were throwing stuff at Goblin. Right, and- do you know Do you know why that one bothers me, though, Justin? Spider-Man, why? who's incredibly strong, can punch Green Goblin. And that affects Green Goblin less than when a New Yorker throws a bottle at him. 
Because <laughs> a New Yorker with a bottle mean. is, you know, that just wants to help a Spider-Man is stronger than a Spider-Man. Fuck off. Dang. Well, he didn't spin out of control and crash. It just sort of, you know, it just it just made him, ugh, you know, it made him alter his path a little bit. And that little bit of time gave Peter a chance to kind of save Mary Jane. That wasn't too bad. I think that the in the second movie, um, it's worse when it they right. help him on the train and they're like, you know, we're your secret is safe with us, Spider-Man. I'm like, man, there are kids on this train. They would have told somebody. But the worst one is in the amazing Spider-Man <laughs> when those crane operators make the freaking cranes line up so he can web over to that building and get to the lizard. That's the dumbest one. That is like- infinitely more dumb. And when you watch them in a row, like when you watch them one after the other, you're like, oh my God, this was way more stupid than anything that happened in the Maguires. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's, I think the worst thing about it is the fact that like, don't get me wrong. Those types of cranes, they're, they're all over the place in big cities. I mean, we have them all over in Chicago when they're doing these skyscrapers, they have to, but they had them on every other street all down one street. Cause you can't move yeah. those fuckers over like that. Like, you know, if it's down the street, you can't move it over to help real quick. That's not how those cranes move. You know, they have to be where they're at and you could swing the arm over. So yeah, the every fucking building down that one street, every other street is a skyscraper needing one of those cranes at that time. Not, not even forgetting the fact that, you know, they don't work on those at night. So that would mean that these people <laughs> left their house to go. I need to go help Spider-Man. It went know, downtown that one in the middle of it. traffic <laughs> while lizard people were attacking everybody to make the crane yes. street. I mean, I get what you're and, saying, uh, Justin. I do hate the one in Spider-Man 2 worse, though, just for the sheer fact that not only everything, but they also crowd surf him back like he's Jesus and then lay him down. And then they find his mask that I don't know just materialized back onto the train somehow. And then they're like, don't worry, we won't tell anybody. And all I could think of is you're telling me there's not one motherfucker there that's not behind on their bills. Just (laughs) one motherfucker. There's not one motherfucker. That's just slightly greedy. I mean, there have been people that were attempting to commit suicide and were stopped from committing suicide to then sue people because they broke their ribs while saving their life when they were trying to commit suicide. And you're telling me that there's not a motherfucker that just went, man, I need some money. Mama getting a new car. Come on. Get the fuck out of here, Avi. Yeah. The the only thing that's that really helps that is that it's sandwiched in between a badass fight with Dr. Octopus on top of the train. And then it's got the scene where he stops the train with his webs, which I still think is a great scene and is 
clothes are tearing and he's like, you know, and as much as y'all say that uh, Tobey Maguire wasn't acting, I mean, it looked like he was really trying to hold back a train. I thought he did a good job on that scene. But Justin, that's Um, one of the only two faces he can make. It's sad face or strained face. (laughs) But I I said he could make a strained face. He could do that's in his wheelhouse. Okay. Well, it's neither here nor there. But I think that's what helps that scene. There was a lot of awesomeness in within that within those scenes. And so it takes you so you don't realize just how corny that scene was when they Jesus surf him and then they're like you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep your secret. And especially because, because JJ is always making sure that Spider-Man's name, you know, he goes in and out of the media from being a menace to people saying he's safe. you know, the, the, the people are split typically on what they think about Spider-Man, you know, some see him as a hero, some see him as a menace because of the media and stuff like that. You mean to tell me that when these reports come out that, oh, Spider-Man killed somebody or Spider-Man, you know, it ended this person or something like that, that those people on the train aren't thinking, man, maybe we were wrong about him. Maybe I should say what he looked like just in case he's a murderer. Like even those situations could happen. You know what I'm saying? Because the view of him is so split in the media. Same thing with the amazing Spider-Man. Would all of those crane operators see him as a hero? Just because of that one guy said it? I mean, is it beyond the realm of possibility that there could have been a crane operator there that's like, yeah, I think he's a criminal. I think the cops need to stop him. Like, I mean, you know, if you, you know, if you ever need anything there, but... to back you up, Justin, with what you just said, our country, like the population of our country, the citizens of our country can't even agree on who the fucking president is right now. <laughs> yep. And you're telling there me you that go. there's not going to be somebody that goes, fuck yeah, Jameson's right. That guy's a fucking menace. One motherfucker, even if he just saved them on that train, there's not one motherfucker that goes, the only reason why we were in trouble was because he's a fucking menace. Click, click, picture. Come on. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. Like, there's not somebody in the fucking Andrew Garfield universe. Like you said, Justin, that one guy, there's not even a guy that's just lazy and won't go from his house back to his crane. (laughs) <laughs> Let's not even get into the realistic thing of whether or not they believe he's a hero or not. You tell me that there's just not one lazy motherfucker. Come on. Has anybody looked at a construction site ever? There's at least 27 people standing there. For every five people that are working, there's 27 people standing. And you're telling me there's not one lazy crane operator. Come on. Come on. Let's be real. Yeah. It. It's like, come on, dude. And back to this movie, though, that's one thing, too, that I think this movie did really well over those past movies, because when everybody found out that he was Peter Parker, you got different reactions from different people. You know, some people were asking stupid questions like, are you going to have his spider babies, MJ? Then there were some people like the teaching staff, you know, from the other movies and stuff. I like how they had a little scene there and two of them were like, look, we made this little hero 
mural thing for you. And then the, but the coach was like, I think he's a criminal. He's a murderer, man. I know what you did, man. Like, I don't think you're a good person, you know? And I like how, at least in this, there were different reactions from people, you know, not everybody felt the same way about him, which is something better done in this movie. You know what I mean? You know, you're absolutely right on that. That is something I appreciate. Now, what I didn't appreciate is in that direct scene that you were talking about when the teachers are showing him the mural and Hannibal Burris was like, you did it. That the people in front of me, one of them went, you did it <laughs> and started laughing. And I'm like, why did you just have to repeat the line that was just fucking said in the movie? You, why did you have to repeat the line that we all just heard? Like you couldn't just laugh. Why did you have to say yeah, it? That's annoying. Like, Oh God. Like I said, I had a miserable time altogether because you know, people were happy and I'm a miserable motherfucker and I can't handle people cheering in a movie. But like that, just like that was so early in the movie and they just went along with it. And I'm like, Ugh, <laughs> why did you say the line too? like, I would hate to see like a full fledged comedy with this motherfucker because then they would just repeat every punchline after it's said. Like if you went to a stand up set with them and they would just repeat punchlines and laugh. God, just be fucking terrible. Um, One final thing I want to talk about with you guys real quick. Just real quick, real quick, real quick. I really liked Matt Murdock in this movie. I thought that was a fun little scene. Yeah, that was tight. That was good. I liked him just catching the brick. And they're like, how'd you do that? I'm a real good lawyer. That was a good line. That was a very good line for that situation. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I, I mean, and this is nitpicky at this point. I did not like right after that, though when he was talking to happy and he's like, now they do have criminal charges against you, but not Spider-Man that to me makes zero sense whatsoever. They would be interconnected to each other. There's no way you could have criminal charges on happy for the same exact things and not have them against Peter at the same time. I get why they did it. It's all meant to be a jokey little scene, but to me, it legally makes no sense. So I just couldn't actually think any of that part was funny. Like I said, that's nitpicky bullshit. But. And I will say, like, while I am excited for the multiverse of madness, I was a little bit let down at the fact that the end end scene was just a trailer for the movie instead of like a like a scene. I was expecting that. So that was a little bit of a letdown, although I am excited for the movie, of course. I think it would have been cool. And that green octopus. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead and say what you were going to say. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I, I popped when I saw Shumi Gorath, man. That green one-eyed uh, monster octopus thing. Yeah, you get a glimpse of him, and I was like, Shumi Gorath. <laughs> then the person next to me was like, huh? Who? And then I kind of had to explain kind of who that was. Do you mainly know him from the Marvel versus Capcom games? Mar- yeah, Marvel, yeah. Capcom, and that's what caused me to look him up a little bit, yeah. Because, but yeah, that's where I first discovered him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he is a Doctor Strange villain, if I'm remembering correctly. Doctor Strange or Fantastic Four, I can't remember. Well, because, you know, they all they swap villains all the time. But, yeah, that was an interesting thing. I just think it would have been kind of cool that instead of playing the trailer, 
I think it would have been kind of cooler if they did a scene where you hear Doctor Strange talking over like a black screen or over something. And it's like, you know, something's moving over a landscape or something. And you, you hear a voiceover of Doctor Strange talking and all this other stuff. And then it just ends with you finally seeing him. And it's not Doctor Strange. It's evil Doctor Strange. Yeah, that would have been better. That would have been kind of cool, too. Yeah. I just think that that would have been a better tagger. And then the day after Spider-Man came out, then you just release the, you know, this, the multiverse of madness trailer. Cause that's all they've done now is as I think today or was it today or yesterday? One of those two days is when they officially released the trailer out to everybody, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think it would have just been cooler if you just did something like that, but give it a holy fuck moment. Just like you kind of got in that where it's like, Oh fuck, wait, that's evil. Dr. Strange. And then you get the trailer a couple of days later. I think that would have been a little cooler. It would have been a little bit more satisfying than I think just throwing a trailer at the end of the movie. Or that part where he goes and he's meet and he meets Wanda and they have that little conversation. Maybe you could have just played a little more of that conversation or something like their interaction. Cause it would have been nice. I would have, you know, if that was all I got was just a scene of him approaching Wanda and them having to talk about something is happening and I need your help and her being like, Oh shit. And that just ends like that. That would have been tight too. Yeah. You know, I I thought that's what it was going to be. Just a scene, not a trailer. A trailer yeah. felt weird. A scene would have been fine. No, exactly. that's reasonable. Uh, all right, final thing. Back to the Avial Rad stuff. Um, did you know, Justin, and, and Cinefans out there and everybody else, the reason why the animated series got canceled is the head of Fox Animation uh, got pissed off at Avial Rad, who was the producer of Spider-Man, the animated series. And that's why they canceled that, too. Hmm. <laughs> So Spider-Man's got a weird history of getting canceled because just random people get mad at someone else. So they just cancel shit. And you would think if anybody would not have that happen to him, it'd be a (laughs) Spider-Man. So. That's my last little bit of Avia Red Spider-Man trilogy or trivia. Any more thoughts about this? No. No. You know what? I'll change my score. It'll be a 68 now. Not 66. I'll move it up two points. 68. Yeah. But that's it. I'm probably never going to watch this movie again. (laughs) Oh, come on. Why would I watch a 68 again? If it was a 69, maybe. Yeah, got it. But not a 68. 68s don't deserve oh, a rewatch. So, anyway, on that note, thank you guys for listening to this long-ass episode of the Simulslayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.simulslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook, where we're Simulslayers podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, where we're Cinema underscore Slayers. Or TikTok, where we're Simulslayers pod. Um, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. It'd really help us out. Shout out to Plug Migo and Mundo Ochoa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Um, we are coming to the end of this year and everything like that. And weirdly enough, our four-year anniversary is coming up next April. 
as crazy as that sounds. Uh, and we've got some big stuff happening around that time that we'll fill you in more about later and stuff like that. So, you know, keep checking all that out and you'll get some surprises uh, around that four year mark, which holy fuck, four years. Holy shit. Anyway, uh, what else do I say at this? Oh, yeah. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends, family and tell your family's friends. And especially no matter what, tell those dear, sweet mothers. You know what mothers hate? Spider-Man movies, just like me. We're all J. Jonah Jameson's. So, haha, fuck you, Spider-Man. And uh, just remember, according to Justin, uh, Moon Knight's the best picture winner. Man, I'm not saying nothing. We already said too much. <laughs> this is already wrong. We said enough. I mean, now it's going longer, but at that time it wasn't wasn't going to go longer. Just throwing hey, man, that I'm out just, there. I'm just um, taking the responsibility of my power at this moment and not going to add much more oh, to this. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm out.